With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Using free speech to free minds. You're listening to The David Knight Show. As the clock strikes 13, it's Monday, the 23rd of May, year of our Lord 2022. Well, I'm gone for a couple of weeks. <laughs> Monkeypox breaks out worldwide. We're going to take a look at the fear porn. And what is possibly behind this? Is this an effort to lock us down? Or is this an effort to push the WHO sovereignty through? We'll take a look at that. Many other things. <laughs> Ultra MAGA. <laughs> it's been a crazy couple of weeks. Uh, we'll be right back. Stay with us. We made it. We're here in Tennessee. And thank you to all of you who have helped us, who have supported us, who have prayed for us. Especially thanks to uh, Tony Arterburn and Guard Goldsmith, who have done a tremendous amount of work uh, to make this happen. Uh, this has been a Herculean task, and uh, we would not have made it without a lot of help and prayers from a lot of people. But uh, I really do thank Tony and Guard for filling in. Uh, to know that I can uh, take what has been two weeks. Uh, these guys have done, um, you know, it's, it's been a, about two weeks, but they have done, uh, let's see, it was uh, five shows, seven shows, nine shows uh, by my count. Um, so it's uh, it's been a lot of uh, work 
that they've done, uh, Guard taking Rockfin, Tony helping him to produce even that. Uh, both of them doing a great job guest hosting. We had Don Jeffries. We had uh, Billy Ray Valentine. Guard actually interviewed <laughs> one of his guests was uh, James Bovard, who uh, uh, when we moved into this house, uh, they left behind a book <laughs> uh, that was by James Bovard, of all things. So uh, James Bovard has been a great author. He's been around for quite some time. Uh, so um, it is, um, hopefully everything is going fine. It looks like we're okay. Uh, we've got a little bit of adjustments to make. We put this studio together in a hurry. Things have been really crazy and our life is still in disarray, as uh, those of you who've moved cross-country know uh, what happens with this. You can't do it in an orderly move, and especially this one was extremely complicated and right down to the last minute on both sides, on both the sell side and the buying side. Uh, we would not have made it without help from uh, a listener who was an appraiser in this area, as I'd said before. The... <laughs> First, we had Bank of America waste uh, about uh, two months of our time. And, and then we found a, a, a bank that was uh, legit. <laughs> and they, they lured us in with this cheap, uh, uh, this, this cheap loan rate that was too good to be true. But um, we found a legit bank. Then we ran into a problem with an appraiser who took an inordinately amount, uh, long amount of time to say that he was going to do the appraisal for this house on this end. And then after a month, he still hadn't done it. He said, well, I need another month, or they, whoever it was. And uh, when I mentioned that on the show, <laughs> I had a listener who sent us an email that we happened to see because we were very busy. That, that was a blessing that we even saw the email because we've not been able to uh, really keep up correspondence with people amongst all the other things that are going on. But we happened to see that. And... Um, uh, and he lived, uh, was familiar with the area. Turned out he didn't know where we were going, but he was familiar with the area. And he was able to do it in two days working around the clock. Uh, the, other, the other appraiser refused to do it uh, for another month. And uh, the buyers on this end, I think they were trying to uh, reestablish a, uh, a uh, you know, think they, they thought the price went up because of the amount of time that had gone by. And, and we put in an offer that was significantly under the, um, under the sale price. So uh, I think they wanted to establish a different uh, buyer and were willing to wait a while to do it, even as interest rates are going up. So the uh, anyway, it was that got through. Um, we had, um, and that was just a real blessing from God. And then on the other end, we would not have gotten out of the house in time if it had not been for the help of um, friends at church. And a couple of guys that uh, we hired to do just a little bit of moving, and uh, they were doing such a good job, and, and they're a couple of young guys, Pablo and Miguel, and um, uh, <laughs> as things started to come down to it, as a matter of fact, they'd only signed up for one day to help us, and uh, Pablo was going to Oregon, to uh, flying to Oregon to see his girlfriend. And uh, so, you know, things were stretching out, and we really needed, you know, more than uh, the time that they'd signed up for, uh, and he was going to kind of have to shut it, uh, uh, close it a little bit early anyway. He was getting somebody else to come to replace him. And then his flight just got canceled, and they didn't give him a reason. <laughs> it worked out great for him because they gave him a different flight, and they gave him uh, money off of it, so it was a better flight that he got out. But that freed him up to help us, and as a matter of fact, um, uh, as we got to know them, they said, well, you know, we'll just, we were going to 
have somebody pack it up on that end, help us to pack it up on that end, and then hire somebody once we got here. Uh, and that would have been probably a big issue. And so uh, when they suggested, hey, you know, we could drive the truck and uh, we could help you unpack it on the other end, we took them up on that. And I think that was a, uh, a big help for us. So um, uh, thanks to them. And uh, it's just, just amazing how the things came together. So we were able to get this through. And uh, again, uh, thanks to uh, Tony, uh, wisewolf.gold, also America Unplugged. Uh, he also has the Wise Wolf Gold and Crypto Show. Tony um, has uh, been a big help, a big friend uh, to the show for a long time. Uh, Guard Goldsmith with MRCTV.org. Uh, and he also had um, a guest on with him that uh, works for the same organization. A great organization. And both of them have such a rich background in history and finance and politics. They really do understand what is going on. They know what's real. They know what's not real. So it's always great to have them. I don't worry about it. And um, when they are on, I can uh, leave the show in their hands. I don't have to call in with a special report <laughs> on, a, on a regular basis, which used to be the bane of my existence when I was guest hosting for someone else. <laughs> and now for something completely different. Yeah, I'm looking at the... Uh, <laughs> Looking at the stars and the sunset here, and I'm just thinking about going to the stars, that type of thing, you know, when you're in the middle of talking about something substantive. But anyway, um, I don't want to do that to anybody else. I don't know of any other uh, talk show host that does that to his guest hosts. Uh, so I, I feel they're competent, and you've seen them, and you know they're competent, so I can just leave the, uh, the show with them. So the trip was pretty uneventful, except for the gas prices. <laughs> <laughs> that was astonishing. I hadn't driven my Miata for about a year and a half. I mean, it started up every once in a while, but um, really hadn't driven it. I had gotten to the point where the, the roads in our area of Texas had deteriorated to such a decrepit state that it really wasn't any fun to drive it. Uh, it's a lot of fun around here, though. I mean, it, I, how in the world does Tennessee manage to uh, have the same gas prices as Texas, have no toll roads, and keep the roads paved. It's like they just did them yesterday. <laughs> I mean, it's, uh, I don't know how, how Texas is so dysfunctional when it comes to the, the roads that they have there. But uh, anyway, the uh, gas prices were astonishing. I saw lots of, uh, I did this, Biden stickers on and, and places you could see where they'd peel them off. Almost every pump we stopped at either had a uh, I did this Joe Biden pointing at the gas price or a place where it had been peeled off. And certainly uh, he deserves that. Uh, as uh, Tony mentioned last week, reprogramming uh, the pumps in some areas already for $10 a gallon gasoline. Yeah, as uh, Tony mentioned, he's his family's been in the fuel business. He's owned convenience stores. It's just absolutely insane what is happening, and it's going to continue uh, to happen. But you now, even though I hadn't driven the Miata for about a year and a half, I I got to spend uh, more on this trip <laughs> than I would have if I'd been <laughs> driving it on a regular basis. Uh, I used to put about twenty thousand miles a year on it, and um, and so uh, you know th th we had like four cars. Uh, two trucks, one of them a diesel truck. I mean, it was a huge caravan. And when we would fill up, uh, it was just 
unbelievable, uh, the amount of money. And it just kept happening <laughs> over and over again, as you know. So anyway, we're at the stage right now where uh, everything is like we've had a shipwreck. Uh, so I think it's here or washed ashore somewhere, but trying to find it is <laughs> another issue. We still have not located our silverware, for example, uh, although we did find some of Travis's silverware. So we're using that. Uh, it's it's kind of crazy, but everybody goes through that. That's part of moving. Uh, so I appreciate the help and I appreciate the prayers that uh, made a, a very big difference to us. Uh, again, we were right up to, not only were we up to the limit in terms of this contract expiring on the house here, but uh, because we had pushed things forward, uh, the buyer's realtor knew that we had to get that sold on that Monday before the house here sold on Tuesday. Uh, so they use that as leverage to really squeeze us. But, you know, that's the way it is today. Uh, so, again, uh, probably not something that you are unfamiliar with either. Uh, so I won't spend a lot of time talking about that. Let's talk a little bit about headline news. And, again, I was mentioning the gas. Gas could rise above $6 a gallon by the end of the summer, say experts, by August, they say. So I guess we moved just in time, right? Uh, hit another record high again today says a story from Zero Hedge on Friday. For 11 straight days, gas set a new record price. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that amazing? They said since Monday, so this is last Friday. So from Monday a week ago to this last Friday, a gas increased, the average price of gasoline over the U.S. increased by 10 cents a gallon, up to 456 uh, and um, that happened as domestic gasoline stocks decreased by 4.8 million barrels to uh, 220 million barrels last week. So, you know, it's kind of supply and demand, isn't it? If you cut people's supply by doing things like shutting down production, exploration, pipelines that uh, already have this stuff, if you do everything that you can to shut it down, that's what you wind up with. You know, the Biden administration, when you look at the energy policies, reminds me of that Twilight Zone episode. And I think, I can't remember, Travis, was it, uh, maybe you remember, um, <laughs> William Shatner, I think was uh, the guy, he was on a plane, yeah, the Gremlins, right? Yeah, it was William Shatner. I'm getting nod of confirmation there from Travis. Uh, William Shatner sitting on a plane. And he looks out and he sees this little creature on the, on the wing and he's ripping parts out of the airplane wing, you know, and he's like, stewardess, stewardess, come over, you know, and when they would come over, it'd disappear. And then when the stewardess would leave, it would come back. And um, that's essentially what the Biden administration is. We should start calling it the Gremlin administration. <laughs> it's not Brandon, but it's let's go gremlins because everything that Joe Biden is doing is essentially destroying our infrastructure, especially our transportation. He's going to crash the plane straight into the ground. You know, they just had I just, one of the, this is a, just an aside, but uh, there was a Boeing 7, 707, 737, I forget what the variant was, but it was a, a commercial airline um, crash in China. And they finally got the uh, flight data recorder and they said, well, it wasn't a plane problem. The plane did exactly what somebody in the cockpit told it to do. They flew it straight into the ground. So, so this is going from an investigation of a, uh, a plane uh, failure to an investigation of murder. And that's what we should, how we should approach what the Biden administration is doing. 
This is not a malfunction. This is not a malfunction of the free market. This is not a malfunction of the supply chain. This is deliberate murder of the supply chain, deliberate murder of our societies. And it didn't begin with Biden. He's accelerating it. But it began with Trump. And it began with Bojo in the UK. It began with all of these globalist leaders, doesn't matter what political party they professed uh, to be a part of or their ideology that they professed, none of that stuff mattered. These guys are in a club and you ain't in it. We know the name of the club. It's WEF. Should be the WTF. (laughs) Uh, So the House passed a bill that is now establishing the first federal law against gouging by oil or gas companies or by local filling stations, right? What's going to happen? What is this? This is passing the buck. Yeah, it's always, well, it's Putin's price hike. Oh, it's OPEC's price hike. Or it's the oil companies or the gas companies. Well, look, oil and gas companies are far from perfect. They're greedy. They're manipulative. They buy favors from the government, as all these big corporations do. So I'm not defending them, and I'm not defending OPEC either. But the bottom line is that at least, at least these far from perfect companies and countries are producing something. Uh, The Democrats don't produce anything. You know, you have OPEC is the Organization of Petroleum Exporting Companies. Well, what we have seen develop out of the UN 2030 Agenda for Sustainability, uh, which produced the smart cities idea and all the rest of this stuff, you know, it was originally UN Agenda 21, then the UN 2030 Agenda for Sustainability. Uh, Most people still don't pay that much attention to that. They got a lot of attention paid to the Davos Great Reset where you'll own nothing. I mean, that's where they you know, did a little slick video to explain to everybody their, their revelation of method. That's where the uh, super criminals did their little monologue. And so everybody understands that. But this has been a longstanding agenda. Uh, it's not simply a Davos agenda. Davos is part of that agenda. They're part of the club that is selling this. Uh, but, you know, we had an organization of petroleum exporting countries that were trying to rigged the market in their favor, a cartel. But now we have the globalists, and I think the best way to describe them is an organization of prohibition of energy companies, that OPEC. Instead of production, uh, instead of uh, petroleum exporting, these people are about prohibition of energy. And I mean all kinds of energy. You're not even going to have any energy for the grid because they are burdening the grid at the same time they're cutting the inputs into the grid. And the renewable isn't going to be there. And if it is, it's going to be phenomenally expensive and it's going to be late. And so the point is to take away everything that you've got. So we have the organization of the prohibition of energy. And uh, those are the countries that we need to worry about. Uh, More dangerous, far more dangerous than OPEC. You know, OPEC's embargo against the United States alone, not against Europe, not against the world, but against the United States alone, because we sided with Israel in um, 1973, I guess it was. Anyway, uh, as a punishment to that, that sent worldwide repercussions. And so, of course, when we do it to ourselves, right, we do our own rationing. 
We do our own prohibition. We do our own sanctions. And so who needs to have an embargo when you've got governments that are doing sanctions against their own people that are blocking the purchasing of stuff from their own people. Companies would be barred from charging unconscionably excessive prices for gasoline or other fuels during the emergency. According to this Democrat-sponsored act, the Consumer Fuel Price Gouging Prevention Act. You see, what is happening is always the same script. They come in and throw a monkey wrench into the machinery. And then the people who are operating the machinery, even if they were making an obscene profit, at least they were producing something. And they keep them with this monkey wrench that they've jammed into the gears. They keep them from being able to fix it. And then they charge, uh, accuse them of creating the problem. And that's what's happening again. They will never accept responsibility for what they've done. They will never remove the monkey wrench from the gears. They'll never admit responsibility. So, uh, talking about the convenience stores, this article from Zero Hedge, uh, why most gas stations don't make money from selling gas. They say the average profit has been winnowed down to only about three to seven cents per gallon. That's far less than the state tax. That's far less than the federal tax. The people who are making essentially nothing out of this, it's going to be the retailers. Uh, by assuming daily sales of about 4,000 gallons at about five cent a gallon profit, your typical gas station might only bring home about two to three hundred dollars a day from gas. By contrast, those coin-operated air machines that you find at the stations can rake in as much as 300 to 500 dollars in profit per month, even after paying the companies that lease them out. So. As they point out, and this is something that we saw uh, when we were in the video rental business, um, the real money is made inside the stores uh, at the gas stations. And just like at the movie uh, theaters, they would, um, you know, the, the, the uh, movie studios would take virtually all the revenue. They would take uh, like 95% or more of the ticket price. And so the only way the movie theaters could stay in business was by selling popcorn and uh, Coke. And that's why that's so expensive and other things like that. And that's what happens with the convenience stores. They don't make money by selling the, the gasoline. The gasoline is what draws the people into the store, just like the movie is what draws people in so they can sell them snacks. The gasoline draws you in so they can sell you things on the inside. Uh, so you can get your uh, lottery tickets and your energy drinks and your Doritos and things like that. Uh, so as they point out, I thought this is kind of interesting. Only 30% of the average gas station's revenue comes from gas. Uh, so, um, uh, and, and, um, <laughs> so, uh, the, um, I'm sorry, 30% sh should say 30% of the revenue comes from the things that they sell in the inside, but it comes 70% of their profit. So they're handling a lot of money with the uh, oil. Uh, you know, 70% of their, of, of the money that's flowing through that is coming from the gasoline that they're selling and only 30% from the things they're selling inside the store, but 70% of their profits kind of interesting. So again, Biden has doubled down. Uh, he is saying that, uh, he has an unwavering commitment to doing everything in his power to ease the pain. American families are facing today at the pump as a result of Putin's price hike. That's their press release.
It's the Putin price hike. It's Putin's problem. You know, even if that were true, it's not, it's not Putin's price hike. What Putin is getting is a windfall profit. Uh, Biden's response to what Putin did is producing a windfall bonus for Putin at your expense. You see, this is how this works out. It was over a month ago, I reported at that time, Putin had already gotten a windfall bonus of $320 billion because he's still able to get around these sanctions. Guess what? Drug prohibition didn't shut down El Chapo and the Sinaloa drug cartel or any of these other drug cartels. Guess what? They were able to get around it somehow. They made a lot of money. Prohibiting something uh, doesn't make somebody go bankrupt. Actually, what it does is it makes them a more dangerous, just as the drug cartels have gotten more dangerous, Putin has gotten more dangerous. It creates corruption as people who demand these products. And in this particular case, we really do need, we don't need the products that the Sinaloa drug cartel is selling. Uh, but, uh, you know, it is an addiction. But to have energy, to uh, be able to deliver products, to be able to grow food, produce fertilizer, all the rest of this stuff, that is a necessity. People will find a way to get around this. And there's going to be a lot of people who are in the deep state a lot of people in the Russian government who are going to be making fabulous profits off of this. They will fill this in in the nooks and crannies. They will make it work one way or the other. This is financially incentivized corruption, which is what prohibition always is. So you want to prohibit people getting oil from Russia. Understand what that's going to result in. And at the same time, uh, the only thing Biden can think of to do is to get rid of our savings. <laughs> yeah, he's going to get rid of the strategic uh, petroleum reserves. He's doing that as fast as he can. Just as for decades, uh, federal tax policy, the Federal Reserve, have been working at ways to get rid of your wealth and your savings. Uh, we're going to incentivize you borrowing instead of uh, incentivizing you saving. And then we're going to destroy whatever you're managing to save by taxing it and by inflating its value away. Uh, so Russian oil revenues are soaring 50%, hitting a record high. U.S. and EU sanctions have driven up the price of oil and natural gas so much that Russia is actually benefiting from the sanctions, as I pointed out. And uh, Biden admits. You know, we have no plan. They have no plan to bring down energy prices today. Yeah, no plan. Uh, it's not a problem. See, the plan was to take them up. They did have a plan. They had a plan to take them up. They have a plan to take down society. They have a plan to take down your income. They don't have a plan to take down the price of oil. No, that's fundamental. That's the biggest part of the Great Reset. Any of us who lived through the OPEC oil embargo know how devastating a shock to the energy price is. It's like if, if we have a society that is based on a value-added a, a government that has a value-added tax. So at every stage of production, you add another tax. And people only see the stage of production where they actually interact with it. But they don't see how the tax is being added on and all these other stages before it gets to them. And let me tell you that 
when you have a, a shock to the system with energy, that's like a value-added tax. And, and we see it at the pump, but we're going, and we see it at the price of food in the store, but it is being added everywhere. It is one of the most pernicious things. And this time, it was a self-inflicted wound. It's Biden. Uh, with a gremlin on the plane, Trump and Biden with a, <laughs> the gremlin it, pulling apart the engine. I guess you could say that was the uh, that was a Trump administration. Then Biden gets behind the wheel and just flies it straight into the ground. So we'll be right back. Stay with us. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at ChumpaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group, no purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. See terms and conditions, 18 plus. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite sources social casino style games that you can play for free anytime anywhere with daily bonuses that should brighten your day a little actually a lot so sign up now at chumbacasino.com that's chumbacasino.com no purchase necessary btw void were prohibited by law see terms and conditions 18 plus the common man They created Common Core to dumb down our children. They created Common Past to track and control us. Their Commons Project to make sure the commoners own nothing and the communist future. They see the common man as simple, unsophisticated, ordinary. But each of us has worth and dignity created in the image of God. That is what we have in common. That is what they want to take away. Their most powerful weapons are isolation, deception, intimidation. They desire to know everything about us while they hide everything from us. It's time to turn that around and expose what they want to hide. Please share the information and links you'll find at thedavidnightshow.com. Thank you for listening. Thank you for sharing. If you can't support us financially, please keep us in your prayers. TheDavidKnightShow.com Looking for better information? APSRadioNews.com features articles and commentary, along with audio from all the top news from around the world. APSRadioNews.com All right, and I want to uh, thank some of the people who have left comments on Rockfin. Patrick S., thank you very much, Patrick, for that uh, uh, tip. That's very generous. Uh, so thankful you made it. Much love. Well, thank you, Patrick. Appreciate that. Paul E., uh, thank you for the tip. Welcome back, David. We missed you. Well, thank you. It's good to be back. And uh, again, uh, kudos to uh, Travis and everybody else getting this, uh, the rest of the family getting a studio set up. Uh, we still have some lighting challenges, but um, 
uh, that's the one thing, the only thing that we we're able to keep track of, um, <laughs> we we're very careful to keep that stuff separate, was uh, the equipment here. But again, in a different space, we have some unique uh, challenges that we'll uh, probably have to address here. Uh, and uh, Brian Potty, thank you very much. Uh, good to see you. Your standing guys were awesome. Yes, they were. Uh, bless all in your circle of friends. And uh, it's, it's great to have uh, a talent pool like that to draw from and to have them as friends. It really has been a blessing. Um, <clears throat> before I leave the inflation and the energy stuff, uh, you know, inflation is running at 8.5% in March. <laughs> Highest since 1981. And they expected it to be about 8.1%, but it's 8.5%. So when asked about it, Biden said... Um, well, he says, I understand that people are upset about this. They get a 5.5% raise, average raise, in their salaries, yet inflation is exceeding that. They look around the world and they know that a lot of it's extremely complicated. They're frustrated, and I don't blame them. But, you know, he's got no plan. <laughs> it's no plan. See, it was Carville, uh, uh, James Carville, who said, uh, it's the economy, stupid. Yeah, it doesn't matter what uh, Bill Clinton did. You know, uh, it doesn't matter crimes he's involved in, violent, physical, sexual assault. It doesn't matter rape. Uh, yeah, we'll we'll pick this consensual sex thing, and that'll blow up. And but he says it's just the economy. People don't care about any of the rest of that stuff. It's about the economy. It's about the economy, stupid. Well, this election is going to be about the stupid economy. The stupid economy that has, again, been flown into the ground by Joe Biden. Uh, and it doesn't get any dumber than this. Listen to this exchange between uh, Josh Hawley and the energy secretary, uh, Jennifer Granholm. And if you remember, I've played the clip for you before. I don't have this clip here in the loaded up. But I played the clip for you before. Any of this stuff started. Any of the, you know, Biden's ridiculous reaction to Putin. And I say ridiculous reaction because it has had absolutely no effect. Uh, this is something that is independent of what you think about the justification for, uh, for uh, uh, what Putin has done or the justification of what NATO has done. Apart from all of that, just from a pragmatic standpoint, this is idiotic, absolutely idiotic and ineffective. It is not practical. It's not produced the desired results. So it is a failure, a failure, uh, regardless of, again, what you think about the war, whether it is justified or not, uh, whether our response or his response or whatever is justified over and apart from that. This absolutely makes no sense whatsoever. And before any of this stuff even happened, I've played for you the clips of Jennifer Granholm, the, uh, the uh, energy secretary who went on cable, and at that time, the, uh, it was one of the uh, cable uh, economics shows, you know, stock market shows. And uh, the person said, well, you know, hey, look at how much gas has gone. I forget what it was. It was up 50% or something at that point in time. Uh, and it was towards uh, the end of uh, 2021. And he said, so what's your plan about bringing this down. She goes, ha, 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 like I've got a plan. She thought that was funny, that she'd have a plan. See, they have no plan to bring it down. They have a, uh, not to bring down the price. They have a plan to bring down our society. 
And so, again, now they're blaming it on Putin. But it was already a problem when she was asked that. I think that was in November of 2021. And she just laughed it off. I don't have any control of the price. Oh, that's OPEC. Well, we had control of the price when we were producing oil. See, if you're producing oil, you don't have to be dependent on oil producing and exporting countries if you produce the oil. And so he shut down our production now and in the future to make us dependent upon OPEC. And then they can say, oh, it's OPEC that's evil. It's the oil companies that are evil. They can blame it on anybody. And so this is the exchange between Josh Hawley and Jennifer Granholm. Um, Secretary Granholm, today in the state of Missouri, the average price of gasoline t today, as of this morning, is $4.10. Average price of diesel is $5.18. And I'm sure you've seen the reporting this morning that now AAA is projecting that gas prices will hit a national average, average of $6 a gallon by the month of August. Is this acceptable to you? No, it is not. And you can thank the activity of Vladimir Putin for invading Ukraine and pulling especially oh, nonsense. those barrels. Uh, with all due respect, Madam Secretary, that's utter nonsense. In January of 2021, the average gas price in my state was $2.07. Eight months later, eight months later, long before Vladimir Putin invaded Ukraine, that price was up over 30% and it has been going up consistently since. What are you doing to reverse this administration's policies that are drawing down our own supply of energy in this country, that are throttling oil and gas production in the United States of America. What are you doing about With it? With respect, sir, it is not administration policies that have affected supply and demand. How can you say that when the price of gas was up over 30 percent from January to uh, you answer my questions? Answer. And it's my time, Madam Secretary. So why don't you answer my question? From January to August, the price of gasoline was up over 30%. In my state alone, it has been a continuous, a continuous upward tick since then. And here's what your president did when he first came to office. He immediately re-entered the Paris Climate Accord. He canceled the Keystone Pipeline. He halted leasing programs in Anwar. He issued a 60-day halt on all new oil and gas leases and drilling permits on federal lands and waters. That's nationwide. That accounts, by the way, for 25% of U.S. oil production. He directed federal agencies to eliminate all supports for fossil fuels. He imposed new regulations on oil and gas and methane emissions. Those were all just in the first few days. Are you telling me that's had no effect I'm on our energy supply? 94% of the oil and gas executives that were surveyed by the Dallas Fed said that administration policies had nothing to do with the increase in the price of oil. I'm not interested in opinions of, of these people. I'm interested Those in the, the facts. Are, are you telling me no that these policies had no effect? Is I'm that your you testimony no that these policies had no effect? You, are you telling you, me, Madam Secretary, are you telling me under oath that these policies had no effect. I'm telling you that 94% of the oil and gas industry. I'm not interested in their opinion. I'm interested in no the facts. Effect. So, no, they did not ask that is Vladimir a remarkable Putin statement about the increase in demand and the decrease in supply from pulling Russian barrels of oil off the market, thanks to rightly the United States saying we're not going to take Russian oil coming out of COVID. So, what explains the of, increase between I'm, January and August? Coming of out of COVID, coming out of COVID, there was an increase in demand 
demand because people were driving again. When there was no demand, the prices dropped. That is a basic law of economics. Basic law of economics is supply and demand, and she's right about that. And so what they do, they cut the supply. She talks about the demand side, but the supply side was what she cut. He'd just gone through a list. You know, Keystone Pipeline, uh, the Paris Climate Accord, the uh, Anwar, uh, you know, putting a halt on that, cutting 25% of production. Tony, <laughs> Tony, Tony, you don't need to tip me. I appreciate that. Thank you so much. I appreciate that. You did so much to help. Uh, I need to be tipping you. Um, but uh, th- thank you very much, Tony. Wise Wolf Gold uh wisewolf.gold or if you want to go to davidknight.gold that'll let tony know that you that i sent you uh he set that up for you but uh yeah tony does does a great job with that and if you want to try to preserve your wealth in this insane situation gold and silver uh also crypto but um anyway uh wait when you look at this now josh holly was right about everything he had to say about no this is your policy that's raised this right even before the putin stuff but, you know, if you look at the slope, and I'll try to do this backwards, right? It's going up over, over time. You're seeing uh, the trend line going up steadily with the Biden. And then when they put in the Putin sanctions, it went straight up. The slope dramatically changed. It went vertical. Now, why don't the Republicans talk about that? I mean, you know, the, they want to say, no, no, it's all, it's all Biden. But you see, the Putin thing is Biden, too. The problem is the Putin thing is Biden and the GOP. You see, when you ignore, it is utter nonsense. He's right. And it's utter nonsense in terms of this partisan spin. What Biden did up until the sanctions was absolutely reprehensible. And it was deliberately done to destroy our economy. But not nearly as much as what both the Republicans and the Democrats did with these Putin sanctions. That was far, far worse than uh, what had been happening before. And they won't criticize that. Instead, they want to say, well, it's not the policy that we support, which is economic sanctions against Putin. That didn't do it. It's you, you alone. And that's the partisan game that the Republicans are playing. And that is utter nonsense as well. Josh Hawley. Own the fact that these sanctions, A, don't work, B, they not only are not punishing Putin, but as I said before, they're giving him a bonus, and C, it is a bonus that is paid for by the American taxpayers, by the consumers of the world, because the intention is to impoverish us and potentially to kill us in a war. That's what they're aiming for, is to kill us. So um, that's the bad part about this, but it's always the blame game. Everybody pointing fingers at everybody else. Look at this. Even Poland now is telling Norway, you better hand over the oil revenues. You're getting rich off of this. And so you need to hand this over. Polish prime minister has accused Norway of making unjust oil and gas money over the Ukraine conflict. Norway should share the excess profits, he says. It's been making as oil and gas prices soar. Uh, said uh, we should be paying, uh, he says, but should we be paying Norway gigantic money for gas four or five times more than we paid a year ago? This is sick, said the Polish prime minister. He said the excess of the average, uh, the annual average gas and oil profit, quote, 
will exceed 100 billion euros. Well, guess what? As I said earlier, over a month ago, Putin had already made a bonus of $320 billion. So do these people understand what is going on? Or are they just going to point the blame at each other? We have organized the Western countries into a circular firing squad. And everybody is taking shots at each other for the policies that they agree on. They agree on these economic sanctions that are not working, except to the benefit of Putin. And again, you are the ones who are paying for this bonus for him. It did me good to see this headline. This is, of all people, a HSBC global banker who said this. He said, who cares if Miami is underwater in 100 years? <laughs> I don't care. I don't care. You shouldn't either because uh, it isn't going to happen. They don't believe it's going to happen. I mean, they wouldn't be buying up beachfront property, uh, Obama, and all the rest of these people, all these areas that they say are going to be underwater in 100 years. Of course, that's nonsense in the first place. But even if it were true, why would we care? I'm glad that he said it. He said what should have been said for the longest time. Uh, he said, um, uh, even if this were true, his name is Stuart Kirk. He's global head of responsible investing at HSBC Asset Management. <laughs> the HSBC, the company that has been convicted at least twice of money laundering for drug cartels and terrorist groups. <laughs> anyway, uh, he said, the drumming up of climate change problems is similar to the Y2K issue. He said, there's always some nut job that tells me that the end of the world is coming. He says, who cares if Miami is six meters underwater in 100 years? He said, Amsterdam has been six meters underwater for ages. That's a really nice place. His point was, he said, we're spending a lot of money on mitigation. So let's just assume for the sake of argument that this problem was real. It's not real. We're, we're dealing with unicorn farts here. But let's assume that it was real. Uh, if this were real, he would still be right. Because what he's saying is, instead of spending all this money on trying to mitigate something, and it's not working according to their own data, right? Yeah, they're looking at, well, we got to we got to do this and this, and yet no matter what you do, just like the vaccines, no matter how much of it you do, you still got to do more, right? So that's the problem. When these people make up a phony problem, and they make up a phony solution to a phony problem, then after a while you get to the end of their narrative and you see that, hey, the problem isn't going away even though we've been, your phony problem isn't going away even though we've been radically applying your phony solution. So I think we're done here with this. He says, instead of trying to mitigate what you think is going to happen with global warming, he says, why don't we adapt to it? You know, like Holland did. They built dams. I guess it's the dam problem that <laughs> we can't solve here. Uh, Elon Musk even tweeting about this. Elon Musk says uh, Exxon is rated top 10 best in the world for environment, social, and governance. That's ESG. By the Standard & Poor's 500, while Tesla didn't make the list. Uh, he said this on the 18th last week. Uh, ESG, he said, said Tesla is a scam. 
It has been weaponized by phony social justice warriors. Well, Elon, it takes one to know one, doesn't it? You're the guy who weaponized this stuff into becoming the king of crony capitalism. ESG, environmental social governance. Let me tell you, that's a misnomer if ever there was one. <clears throat> it really should just be uh, the fact that um, uh, they're trying to appease the government on their social agenda and their destruction of energy. It's a government appeasement. And uh, yeah, that's Musk's entire business model has been ESG. Uh, but going back to this guy, uh, Kirk, who works for HSBC. He points out that some climate alarmists who are traveling around the world promoting apocalyptic warnings, such as ex-Bank of England head Mark Carney. Yeah, this guy has been uh, one of the premier central bankers. I mean, he's been associated with Central Bank in Canada and um, uh, in the UK and the rest of the stuff. Uh, so he says about Mark Carney, he says, I completely get that at the end of your central bank career, there are still many, many years to fill in. You have to say something. You have to fly around the world to conferences. You have to out hyperbole the next guy, but I think it's getting a bit out of hand. And so he actually, he actually put out a list of some of the ridiculous quotes from people. Uh, this is Kirk. He said, uh, unsubstantiated, shrill, partisan, self-serving, apocalyptic warnings are always, uppercase, always wrong. And so here's a quote from Mark Carney. Climate change will dwarf cost of living pain. One from the UN. Climate change, the biggest threat modern humans have ever faced. Uh, Henry Paulson. Climate change, single biggest risk to the global economy. The World Economic Forum. Climate is the top global risk for business. The Bank of England. Firms must treat climate risk just as they do other risks. Okay, so uh, this is how they're dealing with it. I think a perfect example of this was the Mercedes that just sold in auction for $132 million. And Mercedes sold it to start an ESG fund. Uh, it's absolutely astounding, first of all, that a car would sell for that kind of money. But, of course, it was like a, you know, uh, going to a charity auction where people, you know, want to donate money to the cause or whatever. And uh, so they bid the price up to a ridiculous amount because it's for the cause. And, of course, what is causing all of this is, again, the fact that uh, this is this energy, uh, social, and governments, the ESG stuff. I think they ought to change it around. The, the acronym is wrong. It ought to be social engineering, government appeasement. That'd be SEPA. I think SEPA is a better way to put this rather than ESG. But, of course, ESG is what everybody else uses, so we'll use that, just like we call the uh, Trump shots vaccines. Uh, we use that terminology so that everybody uh, knows what we're talking about, even though I think GCI, genetic code injection, is a far better description of the Trump juice than the rest of us. By the way, let me just interject here. You know, we get to this area. Um, and yesterday, uh, we took a break, and we went into um, – uh, went into Pigeon Forge to get something to uh, eat. And uh, we drove by a place. There was a Trump store. <laughs> my first comment was, see, I told you he's for sale. <laughs> but, but my second comment was, 
I wonder if I could go in there and get some of those big, beautiful vaccines. I, I just I would like to go in and talk to this person who is so devoid of understanding what has happened under the Trump administration. I'd like to go in and say, uh, by the way, I have a question for you. Uh, were you allowed to operate this Trump store during the pandemic? Were you considered to be essential or non-essential? And can I get some of those big, beautiful vaccines uh, to go, please? Because I won't be injecting them here. Uh, anyway, um, getting back to the Mercedes. 1955 Mercedes-Benz 300 SLR Uhlenhaut Coupe uh, sold for $142 million to a private collector. The car has been owned by Mercedes-Benz since its creation in 1955. Uh, a record price for a car by more than $95 million higher than the previous car, places the car in the top 10 most valuable items ever sold at an auction in any category of collections. Isn't that amazing? Uh, so, um, uh, you know, I mean, you can't drive the Mona Lisa, right? So <laughs> why not? Uh, but uh, I've actually not in, th this is a different car than the one that I was in. I was in the, uh, the Mercedes 300 SL. 55. That is the Gullwing car. And um, I had actually, it was my brother-in-law's brother-in-law who owned it. And um, he was not wealthy, but there was a friend of the family who was a lawyer who was very wealthy, a friend of that family. And um, as he was about to die, before he died, he handed out a lot of his collectible toys to uh, people that, you know, he kind of adopted the family in an informal way. And um, uh, so he was giving gifts to all these kids. And what this guy got was his 300 SL Gullwing Mercedes. And, <laughs> uh, he was a nice guy. He took me for a ride in it. And uh, it, was, uh, it was really interesting getting into that car. Uh, and I thought, how in the world would you take somebody out, especially in 1955, right? Uh, women are dressing in elegant dresses and everything. You know, you got your long formal gown. And then you open up the gullwing doors and you've got uh, a, a ledge that, if I remember correctly, was about two feet wide. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. And you got to sit on that thing, scoot back, and throw your <laughs> throw your legs over to get in. Uh, it's like, so how does that work out for uh, the, the lady of the evening trying to get in? Or for the guy, for that matter. I mean, you're trying to look cool and you're climbing out of this thing. <laughs> climbing out of this thing. 
like you were putting a bucket or something. And then to watch him drive it, of course, being from 1955, it had this gigantic steering wheel, gigantic, and you know, recirculating ball, uh, one rack and pinion or anything like that. So he's driving it. He's constantly adjusting as you did those cars in the, in the day. And um, you know, the bigger steering wheel gives you more leverage over it. Uh, <laughs> it was not a great handling car. And he said, this is absolutely ridiculous. And we were going to the grocery store. He says, go to the grocery store <laughs> to in this car that costs more than my house does. And um, he eventually sold that. I think he sold it for like $300,000. This is back in the 90s. Uh, I think he sold it for $300,000. And I said, don't confuse this special SLR. There's only one of them. They only made two. And one of them uh, crashed that year, 1955, at Le Mans. Uh, so... This is the only one that's left. They said, don't confuse this car with the lowly 300SL, which is only worth $7.5 million. <laughs> and I'm just thinking about uh, my friend who uh, sold his 25, 30 years ago for uh, $300,000. It's seen quite a bit of appreciation. So uh, who knows what this thing's eventually going to go for. But here's the point, besides the cars. Cars are interesting but here's the point. This is a perfect metaphor, I think, for what the, the insanity of our society, the insanity of giant corporations, and especially the insanity of the automobile industry. You take an overvalued Mercedes and you sell it for a ridiculous amount of price, uh, 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 money, and, and you start something that has absolutely no intrinsic value to it. And it is simply because you're trying to please and to appease the government masters. You see, this is, to me, all of this ESG stuff, all the stuff that Elon Musk did in order to make all of his money, you know, selling uh, electric cars and, and the rest of this stuff and uh, using the climate uh, green porn to generate fear and uh, crony capitalism. All this stuff is non-productive. All of this stuff is a symptom of a deeper problem. And that is how the government has completely taken over our economy. It is a centralized command control economy. We have seen it now in spades through the COVID years. But it was there already. It was there already in the green stuff. And that's why I talked about that for so long. It wasn't just that I was interested in cars. I am interested in cars, but they are a fundamental part of our economy, cars and trucks. And unless you've got something to replace it with, uh, let's not shut that down. And it's not that we have to stay fixed in a particular mode of transportation. But, you know, when we went from horse and buggies to automobiles. It wasn't done by government fiat. It wasn't done by fiat and uh, subsidy. It was done by market forces. People moved from horses to cars because they wanted to, because it made sense, because they had a better product, a better mousetrap. And um, <clears throat> that is not what is happening now. What is happening with this auction of Mercedes is they're getting rid of this simply to appease and to please the government because the government is their only customer. 
And that really is true. It's true of all these corporations. It's why they're so contemptible of us in terms of, you know, Coca-Cola putting out their, uh, their, their sessions saying that white people are, are evil, uh, that type of thing. Uh, Disney flaunting the sexuality to your children. They have nothing but contempt for you. They're only trying to please the government because that is their only customer. And that's really uh, the story behind this Mercedes thing. The forgotten lesson of climate gate, says the Daily Skeptic. At the University of Exeter, two things happened this last week. First, you have uh, an associate professor of, geog of geography who found a distinct problem with pictures being published of blue seas and people on the beach during a summer heat wave while the climate is breaking down, he says. We should not be showing people having a good time. Let's all sit here in fear and worry. If it's not about the climate, it can be about monkeypox. That's the next thing that's coming. And, and so we have to be afraid. We have to be locked down. It's the end of the world. To which the appropriate response is, who cares? <laughs> who cares if Miami is underwater? And I have to say the appropriate response for a question is, who cares if it's the end of the world? I, I don't care. This world's going to end. A better one is coming. Uh, the one that we were made for. Uh, the one that we look forward to. And, uh, yeah, it's, uh, that was one of the things that I, I went back and re-listened to Randy Alcorn's Heaven uh, on the trip out here. And um, it, was, um, it was something I hadn't heard for a while. And I think it's a, a really good thing for you to listen to, whether or not you're a Christian. It gives you a good understanding of how Christianity is different from some other religions. You know, we're not going to be subsumed into some cosmic force. You know, that's a kind of a Buddhist idea that George Lucas promulgated in Star Wars. No, we're not going to lose our identity. We're going to keep our identity. And uh, we were created by God as individuals. We're going to keep that identity. We're going to keep that memory of what we did in this life for better or for worse. That's something to think about, isn't it? And uh, so we're going to keep that. But everything is going to be renewed uh, after the curse. It's going to be a new heavens and a new earth. Uh, and even though we'll have a new body, I think that new heaven and new earth will be very similar in many ways to what we see now, except it'll be far, far better. C.S. Lewis used to talk about that in terms of the shadow lands, how everything was simply just a shadow, a representation of a reality that we have yet to see that's going to be far better, far bigger. So again, <laughs> you're not going to scare me with the end of the world. Okay, uh, we look at it, we prepare for what is uh, coming here. Look, uh, I, I'm not so cavalier uh, that it doesn't bother me to see loved ones uh, diagnosed with cancer or other things, uh, have health issues. Leaving this life is difficult, just like coming into it is difficult. Uh, nobody wants to go through that. And certainly we don't look at things like austerity, starvation, global war, nuclear war, that these people are trying to push on us, we don't take those things lightly. And we resist them because we are created in the image of God and we are here to establish justice and uh, mercy as well. So going back to the uh, climate people, the climate gate lesson, University of Exeter. Again, the guy has a problem. 
how come we're showing people having a good time? <laughs> uh, it's, uh, it's not the true Christians who are so worried about stuff like this. It's the, <laughs> the people for whom this is all there is. You know, eat, eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow you may die. Well, you know, these guys are they're only going around once, so grab, drink all the beer you can. Uh, now we have something better to live for. Uh, but over at, while he was doing that in the geography department, over in the politics department, this is an article, by the way, from the Daily Skeptic, over in the politics department and other associate professors investigating how computers can be used to help track down climate change wrong think. So we got one guy saying, that's wrong. We should not be enjoying the warm weather. And over in the computer science department, how can we use AI to be thought police? to identify, to single out, and to punish anybody who doesn't push our narrative. Imagine what a locked-down medieval dystopia we would all endure if these killjoys were fully in charge. Uh, that's, I think, the, the comment of the day. Uh, as for the weather being superpowered by climate breakdown, it is of interest to note that the average temperature in the UK in the 2010s was colder than in the 2000s. As we have seen in numerous Daily Skeptic articles, global warming started slowing down about two decades ago. As a matter of fact, I've interviewed uh, several people several different times. We're going into a solar minimum. But of course, don't say that. If you assert that the sun has any effect whatsoever, the temperature on Earth, <laughs> you are uh, outed as a radical unbeliever of their religion. Uh, so <clears throat> O'Neill, the uh, computer scientist uh, guy, says um, uh, that is working on ways to identify people who have wrong think. He sees positive science for the future. He says media outlets are increasingly working towards more responsible and accurate coverage of climate change. Uh, they said this translates as mainstream journalists are much tamer these days, having largely given up their pesky habit of asking questions and reporting all the facts. This was something that I saw about eight years ago when I went to the American Meteorological Society's annual convention that was being held in Austin. Now, I've mentioned this many times. Everybody was there. There were literally several hundred people there talking about their computer models. Computer models are a dime a dozen. And one of the worst computer models ever created was used to lock this country down uh, 802 days ago. But uh, everybody was, you know, testing their models for weather prediction, not for climate prediction. And they were all trying different things, and they're all still working. Nobody had solved it yet. So that's a big thing. When you look at this and you see hundreds of people, and they've all got a model to try to model the weather, well, that tells you that there isn't a consensus, is there? You got hundreds of different, different approaches. And guess what? None of them worked very well. And uh, if they had worked well, then there wouldn't be people trying to improve upon it, would there? But there was one exhibit that was there, <clears throat> and it was, uh, I forget the name of the organization now. But uh, they were there to target the meteorologists, especially the ones who were on TV. And they had a poster up talking about how it was horrible, the fact that the vast majority of meteorologists did not believe in climate change. 
<clears throat> Imagine that. Could it be that they did science? Could it be that they understood the fallacy of models in predicting the weather one or two days in advance, let alone decades in advance? And so they were just wringing their hands about that and saying, you know, we've got to change this. And they were there to evangelize the meteorologists, to get them to reject science and to embrace the panic. And so they said over the Exeter Politics Department, computer models are being developed to track down climate disbelief. You see, they don't have any computer models that are going to predict climate, but they can predict the climate infidels. That's what I like to call myself. I am a climate infidel because it is a religion. You know, they call us uh, uh, disbelievers. That's their term. Uh, they call us uh, skeptics. Yeah, they call us deniers, you see. We deny the faith of climate change. We disbelieve the religion of climate change. And um, <clears throat> actually, they don't call us skeptics. We call ourselves skeptics because skeptics is what science is about. You should be skeptical about anybody, especially somebody who has the Solution, the consensus. Uh, there's no such thing. Heresy is being collated by this computer model. So he's going to pull together all of the climate religion heresies, such as the fact that climate moves in natural cycles. Can't say that. That labels you as a heretic. You're a climate heretic. Uh, that the sun plays any part in climate change. I've said that in the past, and I, I remember uh, some guy wrote me a really nasty letter when I said, so imagine this, you know, if you don't think that the sun plays any role in climate, just think about the fact that the tilt of the earth as it goes around the sun for a year, uh, that adjustment uh, accounts for our seasons, you know, going from uh, winter to summer. But of course, the sun, solar activity has very limited effect. It's really you and your automobile that's going to destroy the world, right? Uh, so I had somebody uh, take me on. They said, that's the dumbest thing you've ever said. It's like, seriously? The dumbest thing I ever said is that the sun has an outsized effect on our environment, <laughs> on the weather. It has more of an effect on the weather than my automobile does. You think that's the dumbest thing I've ever said? No, I've said <laughs> a lot of other things that are a lot dumber than that. Uh, anyway, uh, <laughs> suggestions that it moves in natural cycles, whether the sun plays a part in climate change, or that carbon dioxide was much higher in the past. It was. You can see that. You can observe that in the rocks. Anyway, that CO2 started, starts to lose its warming effect beyond certain levels, and that water vapor has a part to play in the weather. Oh, I would also add to that the fact that plants love CO2. You see, God, when he designed this system, uh, yeah, we can mess it up. We can pollute it up pretty badly. But he did uh, put in a, a lot of <laughs> knowing uh, uh, what we are made of. Uh, he put in a lot of uh, feedback controls. And one of those feedback controls is that since the uh, carbon dioxide, we're not talking about monoxide. We're talking about dioxide that we breathe out. The plants breathe in. They need it for survival. Uh, they thrive on it. And that helps to establish an equilibrium, that symbiotic relationship between plants and animals. Uh, but uh, we have seen a, a big increase in CO2 that they've been able to document. But it hasn't gone up. The temperature hasn't gone up with that increase in CO2. Their, their models have failed. How the Exeter computer model will differentiate between scientific debate 
and quote-unquote misinformation is unclear. Well, I think it's very clear. Uh, They'll just say, anybody who says this, you come after them because I say that. In the world of climate misinformation, individual days of hot weather show the climate is changing. Individual days of cold weather do not. In fact, both suggestions are simply unscientific opinions. That's right. And we've got to be careful that we don't use the same argument. Uh, The bottom line is, is that you have to look at it for variation over location, variation over time. So temporal and locational variance is going to be there. And if you look at that, uh, you can see that their models are absolutely wrong. That's the issue. There's a difference between climate and weather. Uh, Green energy does not save money. It is four to six times more expensive. You see, Biden has been telling us that a key part of their anti-inflation strategy is green energy. Uh, that's only going to fuel it. Uh, again, everything that Biden has done, you know, Trump created a dumpster fire with the COVID lockdown. And what Biden has been doing is pouring our strategic petroleum reserves on it as fast as he can and pouring our money into it as well. John Kerry has claimed recently that, quote, solar and wind are less expensive than coal or oil or gas. Pete Boudigay makes the same claims. And, of course, they've said, you know, you can save thousands of dollars if you buy an electric car. Don't count the purchase price. And don't count the construction price of the CO2 in creating that. Don't count the rare earth minerals that are needed in that. And by all means, don't ask any uncomfortable questions about how we're going to power everybody's transportation off of a grid that they're trying to strangle at the same time. Don't ask those kind of questions. You might get labeled a climate infidel. Uh, The cost isn't just what you pay at the retail level for gas or for power. It also includes the taxes you pay to subsidize the power. A 2017 study by the Department of Energy found that for every dollar of government subsidy per BTU unit of energy produced from fossil fuels, wind and solar gets at least $10, 10 times the amount. You see, that's what the ESG is about. It's about pleasing and appeasing government because government has taken control of everything. Centrally planned, centrally controlled economy. And if you want to get the money, you do what the government, you say what the government wants you to say. Uh, Green energy sources, as this article from uh, Zero Hedge points out, are non-dispatchable. That means that the output cannot be changed to match demand. The wind doesn't blow harder. The sun doesn't shine brighter just because electricity use is peaking. Conversely, fossil fuel entities such as a coal plant can ramp up generation when we need it most and ramp it down when demand falls. And, uh, you know, that's why you have uh, the battery issue that it's there. But again, as I was saying earlier, that the idea that we're going to blame other, this is the Biden, Biden blame game. We're going to blame OPEC, we're going to blame the oil companies. We're going to blame you because you got a car. We're going to blame the retail stores. We're going to blame everybody. And then we're going to put legislation on them to make sure that they have no financial incentive to explore because we've already shut down everything the government can shut down. We shut down the pipelines. We shut down the oil exploration, the leases, all the rest of this stuff. So now we're going to take away the financial incentives. And this NOPEC bill that was passed at the beginning of uh, May, it was uh, May of the 4th, that the U.S. Senate Judiciary Committee approved NOPEC. Uh, NOPEC 
is another one of these things to blame somebody other than Biden for what is happening uh, to not fix a problem, but to use the problem to demonize their enemies and to excuse their gremlin economy. But now you have um, the UAE's energy minister uh, saying after that happened, he said, if you hinder the system, you see you watch because you're going to get what you ask for. Having a chaotic market, you would see a 200 or 300 percent increases in prices that the world cannot handle. See, everything that they have done, everything that they've done has been to push this along and uh, to push us into the ground. Half of America now is facing power blackouts this summer. Uh, grids are decommissioning fossil fuel power plants. This is, was happening the entire time we were in Texas. They were shutting down. And again, fossil fuels, that's their term. Uh, I don't believe that we had... Peak oil was something that was sold by the CIA. Yeah. And, and everybody bought into that. In the 1970s, with OPEC... You know, there's only so much oil in the ground, uh, said um, Tower Power. Sooner or later, there will be none around. Alternate sources of power must be found because there's only so much oil in the ground. Can't cut loose without that juice. You know, that was there. <laughs> we used to play that. But uh, <laughs> but uh, that, that was what they were selling everybody. And, and so they said, well, we got to have alternative forms of energy because, you know, we're going to run out of oil and gas. I've shown you the magazines many times by the middle of the 1980s. Coal, on the other hand, we got... 666 years of it, so let's destroy that. But don't worry about it, because we're going to be out of this other stuff, so we have to find alternative sources of power. And, of course, it was never about that. Uh, It was never that we had a finite amount of oil. It's just recycled organic material is what's happening. And you're finding other ways. We have more of it than we're allowed to take out of the ground by our government now. I saw somebody put up a comment there went, went flying by and said, well, that was at least one thing that Trump did right. I give him credit for that. Yeah, he <clears throat> cut loose so we could get that juice. <laughs> he cut the juice loose. Uh, so that was, that was a good thing. But uh, they're, they're taking that down now. And so, um, you know, they're going, just like they're going to ban internal combustion engine cars without having the alternative in place, right? Uh, they don't have... The manufacturing capacity to, they're going to ban the, the uh, internal combustion engine cars before they have the other stuff in place. This is what happens when you have a command control economy run by idiots. Well, they're not idiots, they're evil. Uh, but that's what happens. And, and they're going to push it onto the grid at the same time that, A, the grid isn't going to have enough capacity. B, it isn't going to have enough charging stations. But that's fine because they don't want you going anywhere at all. They want you locked down in place. That is the plan. And it's all going according to plan. So having insufficient grid, having insufficient charging stations, that's just fine with them. Just like it's fine for them, they're going to have blackouts. And as we see these rolling blackouts in Texas, shutting down uh, again, that's how I got off on this jag about fossil fuel things, shutting down the existing power plants and not having anything to replace it with. And yet spending, uh, you know, it's not just 10 to 1 factor in Texas. It was far worse than that. Texas spent hundreds of billions of dollars over several years and in terms of building up this infrastructure for the windmills that failed on us in uh, January of 2021. 
they froze up, uh, but they were panicking in the summer because they said, we don't have sufficient capacity. Where did it go? They shut it down. They shut it down deliberately. All right, we're going to take a quick break and uh, we will be right back. It is Ryan here and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Be with us. The Common Man. They created Common Core to dumb down our children. They created Common Past to track and control us. Their Commons Project to make sure the commoners own nothing. And the communist future. They see the common man as simple, unsophisticated, ordinary. But each of us has worth and dignity created in the image of God. That is what we have in common. That is what they want to take away. Their most powerful weapons are isolation, deception, intimidation. They desire to know everything about us while they hide everything from us. It's time to turn that around and expose what they want to hide. Please share the information and links you'll find at thedavidnightshow.com. Thank you for listening. Thank you for sharing. If you can't support us financially, please keep us in your prayers. TheDavidKnightShow.com All right, welcome back. And uh, Nimbus Popsicle, that's an interesting name. Uh, Thank you for the tip. It says, uh, glad you made it to tennessee i'm praying my house will sell soon as well yes uh i hope it does i pray that it does uh that now is a it's a strange time right now i mean you look at the prices of houses clearly it's a bubble and it's absolutely insane what is going on but you know when you you know buy it sell at the bubble price and buy at the bubble price i mean <laughs> uh i don't know uh it, it's only going to get worse i i think because <clears throat> added to the bubble is the, uh, is, is the interest rate. The affordability index is just plummeting. And um, they're not going to do anything to try to stop that, I'm afraid. I'm looking at the timer. I can't believe that this much time has uh, gone past, except, oh, we're an hour different, aren't we? So, okay, that much time has not gone past. Okay, good. I do have uh, time to get in this. I wanted to talk about monkeypox. I have much to say <laughs> about monkeypox. Uh 
The name is, uh, I don't know, I guess you look at this name, is it humorous or scary? I guess it depends on, <laughs> I guess it fans want the whistling song next break. Okay, we'll do that. The, um, you know, I had uh, somebody send me uh, a, a contribution. By the way, we did get the contributions uh, that were there in the mail before we left, and we'll be forwarding that. Uh, so you can still send to that P.O. box that you see at thedavidnightshow.com or the other ways if you would like to support the program. Um, but th that'll still get to us. We'll be forwarding that. Um, uh, we'll have that uh, box for several more months. We've already paid up for it in advance. Uh, so we'll be forwarding that. So, uh, But I did get uh, somebody who sent me a contribution and said, why do you talk about the other son? Why don't you name the other son, the one that does the whistling? And I said, yeah, we call him the you know, whistler's brother or we... <laughs> I said, maybe we should call him the whistleblower. But then people, uh, they said, no, they're going to think that he's uh, you know, got some kind of inside information on something. He doesn't have inside information, but he does blow whistles a lot. And he does it. He whistles and he does it well, <laughs> kind of like mystery men. I shovel and I shovel well. But Whistler does shovel, uh, whistle well. Uh, no, I don't mention his name because um, that's his request. And, um, you know, I talk about him. Uh, we've heard him something like Bo Snerdly or something like that <laughs> for years. Bo Snerdly uh, did not want to be named and, uh, he's now, uh, come out, uh, to say, yeah, I was, uh, Russia's call screener and things like that. But, um, look, uh, there's guilt by association and, uh, I guess, you know, uh, the whistleblower <laughs> whistler's brother would like to be able to have a PayPal account or some things like that, uh, make his life a little bit easier. Because if he's associated with me, he's going to get hammered. And, um, you know, there's no point in doing that. It's maybe good for somebody in the family to uh, uh, be under the radar. So um, maybe we'll call him Snurdly or something. I don't know. <laughs> I think that name's been taken. Uh, when we look at what is going on in terms of Biden, I just take a look at this picture here. Here's Biden in South Korea. And he's walking out of his airplane, right, Air Force One, and he's got his mask on. And he's walking down, he's still walking, mask on, mask on, mask on. He's walking down the steps. Now look at this, he takes off the sunglasses, and now there's, now he's going to meet the guy at the bottom, and he takes the mask off. <laughs> so the whole time he's walking, and the guy behind him doesn't have a mask, the people on the ground, nobody's wearing a mask but Biden. And the entire time that he's walking down by himself with nobody around him, outdoors, on the steps, he's got the mask on. And then when he gets to the bottom, he takes the mask. And now he's walking around, greeting everybody face to face, not three feet apart, not six feet apart, uh, you know, <laughs> not even an arm's length across. I mean, this is uh, elbow length across. He's just a cubit away from them. And, um, and <laughs> he's got no mask on. What kind of virtue signaling idiot is this? Yeah, exactly. Rhetorical question. And the CDC, speaking of uh, people doing idiotic things on airplanes, the CDC is now recommending that all domestic flights have testing, even for vaccinated travelers. See, they don't believe their vaccine works. And they say it doesn't, it doesn't keep you from transmitting. So why are we requiring it then? Right? And why are they testing? If the vaccine, as they say, if the vaccine works, uh, in terms of keeping you from dying, that's the, the, that's the fallback position now. Don't pay attention to the adverse effects. They're rare. Yeah, we're going to talk about rare here in a minute with monkeypox. They're rare. 
Uh, so don't pay any attention to that. Uh, but you got to get it. You got to get it or you're not going to get a commission when you graduate from the Air Force Academy. Yeah, they did that. See, it's still there. The vaccine requirements are still there for the military member. Uh, they're still there in a lot of different places, even though they admit that it doesn't have anything to do in terms of stopping transmission. Their fallback position is, well, it's not going to keep you from passing it on, but it will keep you from dying. So go ahead and get it. Well, if it's my, then that should be my choice. That doesn't affect the public. It doesn't affect other people. If you're going to transmit it vaccinated or unvaccinated, you're going to transmit it the same. Then it's not a public health issue. It's an individual health issue. And if it works, why you care? Get your vaccine and shut up. Leave me alone. I've always said that. We've made that argument for years about MMR when they were requiring it in the schools. And when you had, um, you know. The people, my people are so smart. And you know what else they say about my people? The polls. They say, I have the most loyal people. Did you ever see that? They have to get the shot. The vaccinations are so important. Yeah, you got to get it. It's really going around. So, you know, it's really going around. So you got to stop the transmission, right? Well, no, it didn't stop the transmission. Uh, it's, uh, but you got to get it. Why? Because they say so. And so now that brings us to monkeypox. Monkeypox. Yeah, just go back to, uh, keep going back to Tower of Power. Soul vaccination. <laughs> uh, everybody roll up your sleeve. Get in line. Uh, if you ain't got it. You know, if you have got the uh, sole vaccination, it's going to keep you from catching honky pox. Well, now we got monkey pox. Uh, so <laughs> it's just as much a figment of their imagination, in my opinion, as the honky pox is. This is not a pandemic. And I'll tell you what I think this is about. But first, let's talk about the fear porn that is out there. Uh, from everybody from CNN to Alex Jones, if you're porn about monkeypox, the WHO issues a forecast on monkeypox transmission. The spread of the rare virus could accelerate this summer. And so the UN is uh, warning everybody to expect a wave, a wave of cases. A surge. We got a surge of monkeypox. <laughs> Flying monkeypox, nonetheless, right? Surrender, Dorothy. Mass gatherings, festivals, and parties. Got to stop that. It's everywhere. They're concerned. Somebody somewhere may be having a party. They could be having a good time. They could be having social get-togethers. We got to stop that uh, by all uh, uh, cases, right? Uh, the cases currently being detected are among those engaging in sexual activity. Oh, well, okay. So, um, why don't we just stop that? <laughs> no, no, no. We're going to have to shut society down because we can't control ourselves, right? Uh, this is the, uh, the issue. It rarely results in fatalities, they say. Well, then why are we concerned about this? You know, it's um, reaping what you sow, evidently. Cases of monkeypox have been among gay, most of the initial cases have been amongst gay or bisexual men. Who have had sex with other males uh, but there's going to be more cases and belgium has now confirmed a compulsory lockdown of 21 days the who says there will be more cases of monkeypox identified as surveillance expands to non-endemic countries wait a minute did you hear that word endemic endemic what does that mean it means it's not a pandemic uh, that they're worried about in those countries 
you know, you've heard them talking about the fact that, well, we're just going to have to get used to the fact that COVID is here and COVID is going to stay and it's going to be endemic like colds and flu and things. It's something we're going to live with. It's just going to be there all the time. Well, monkeypox is there all the time in some countries. It has been for quite some time. And the people just lived with it. It was rarely, rarely, if ever, fatal. Very rare that it was fatal. But of course, you know, we've panicked about things like measles when they were very rarely um, fatal as well. Uh, They only care about rare stuff uh, when it's something, a side effect, an adverse effect of their drugs or their vaccines. In that particular case, they just dismiss it. But anything else that's rare, it doesn't matter. They will still handle this as if it was 100% certain that it was going to happen to you. So uh, it is um, endemic in a lot of countries. It's not an epidemic. It is endemic. The agency said the virus is spread by physical contact with individuals who are symptomatic symptomatic this is another issue have you noticed that these contagious diseases are infectious when people are symptomatic not when they are asymptomatic but we don't care we're going to treat everybody even asymptomatic people if we can do enough tests and of course this is why they're saying they're predicting accurately predicting that it's going to spread because they'll be doing tests. They'll be doing tests that will give you false positives, and they'll be testing everybody. They'll be producing case numbers that are going to sage and explode in your face, and then they're going to show you pictures of people with pustules all over their hands, and uh, you know that's going to be the thing to scare you. What makes this unusual is that the disease is not typically found outside of Africa, but it is typically found in many countries in Africa. Well, not many countries, but several countries. And Africa have this on an ongoing basis, and they've learned to live with it. But we're going to see this used by the media to shut down our lives again. You know, something that's very scary. Uh, you couldn't see the COVID thing, right? You had all these representations of this, you know, uh, thing with spikes all over it, all that kind of stuff. But, you know, you can show people pictures of uh, uh, sores and pox and it makes a connection of smallpox. And as a matter of fact, Robert Malone called out CNN for doing exactly that. He said it is absolutely criminal. Well, he didn't say criminal, but I'll say criminal. He said uh, what CNN is engaging in is disinformation and propaganda. They showed pictures of people who had smallpox, and everybody is afraid, rightfully so, of smallpox. That's very, very dangerous. And so we have something that has pox in the name. Well, is that like smallpox? Well, it is the same family, as a matter of fact. But as Robert Malone points out, you have camel pox and you have cow pox and you got monkey pox. (laughs) Uh, It's like a Noah's Ark of poxes. (laughs) And, And yet, they're not necessarily, none of them are like smallpox. Smallpox is in a category by itself. But it is such a bad disease. And of course, <clears throat> interestingly enough, George Washington had small, he contracted smallpox. And um, uh, he had immunity to it when it hit the Continental uh, Army. There's always uh, been uh, people who said they believed that it was early bio warfare uh, and that you had the smallpox blankets that were given to Indians. They believed that the British may have used it and so forth. But it was around. And, uh, you know, it was frequently fatal, 
but some people survived it. They had lifetime immunity to it after that. But um, now they're saying, uh, this is coming from the Sydney Morning Herald, uh, WHO pronouncement, what seems to be happening now is that it has gotten into the population as a sexual form, as a genital form, and it's being spread as sexually transmitted infections. Well, that's a very different thing, isn't it? Very different, isn't it? Maybe we call it LGBT pox. Uh, they're working on it hard to figure out what to do and what vaccine could be available for it. Well, it turns out there's two vaccines already available for it because it's been around for quite some time. Uh, there's a concern in the sense that if it were to spread, it's consequential. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Consequential, but not fatal, is it? No. I'm stunned by this. Every day I wake up and there are more countries infected, said a virologist who formerly headed the Nigerian Academy of Science, who sits on several WHO advisory boards. Where's all this panic coming from? Huh. It's coming from the WHO. And we'll get back to that in just a second here. Now, this is not the kind of spread that we've seen in West Africa. So there may be something new that is happening in the West. Oh, well, we've got to have a new approach. So why is Joe Biden wanting to make this an important issue? Joe Biden says everybody should be concerned about this. Uh, even as they tell us that it is being sexually spread by particular sexual practices, everybody should be concerned about this. Uh, and as they tell us that uh, I only have seen one incident of a child, that they say a five-year-old child in the UK uh, diagnosed with monkeypox, but all the, rest of the other cases, they say, have been uh, people, men, engaging in homosexual sex. Uh, so in the UK, Dr. Susan Hopkins has urged anybody who has a chickenpox-style rash and a viral illness to contact their general practitioner or a sexual health clinic. Huh. Uh, and they should be offered a vaccine, uh, says the UK uh, health agency. Uh, again, Belgium, uh, first country to introduce a mandatory 21-day quarantine for this. They said the total number of confirmed cases in the UK, this is being pushed by thesun.com, the uh, total number of confirmed cases in the UK more than doubled to 20. What? 20? 20,000? No. Uh, 2,000? No. 20. 20 cases. How many people are there in the UK? 66 million. That means that the cases have more than doubled. And they started this panic several days ago. Last week, they started 
you know, monkeypox this, monkeypox that everywhere, monkey, monkeypox. They started this well before this. Now it's doubled to one per 3.3 million people. Is that something to be concerned about? I mean, if people were dying from this, would that still be anything to be concerned about? You know how many cases per, you have dozens of cases per 100,000 people dying from things like heart disease and cancer and things like that. Uh, You know, scores of people per 100,000. We're talking about one person per 3.3 million. So there's a lot of things that can kill us. Monkeypox does not seem to be the the main threat to your life. I mean, you talk about straining at a gnat and swallowing a camel, uh, camel pox maybe. Uh, but yeah, 66 million people. So one per 3.3 million. So they got article after article after article about something that is truly rare. A lot more cases, by the way, of myocarditis, pericarditis, blood clots, stroke, elevated cancer, on and on and on. All these other adverse effects that we've seen from the COVID vaccine, are they paying attention to that? No. No. Oh, it's rare, you know. And yet, you're seeing a higher percentage of many of those things than you're seeing of monkeypox. Is there an agenda here? Of course, there's an agenda here. They're playing you like everything, just like in Shanghai, right? Nobody dying in Shanghai. You see them talking about deaths? No. No, they're just shutting things down. No explanation, just shut it down. And they've done that now. They've shut down all stores, all food, everything in yet another province of Shanghai. No information given, no reason given. Why? Because this isn't about public health. This isn't about a pandemic. It's not about a disease. The disease is government authoritarianism. It's central controlled, uh, uh, you know, centrally controlled out of control government that can do whatever it wishes and it doesn't need to make any explanations anymore. They're shutting this down simply because they want to shut down the entire global supply chain. That's what's happening in Shanghai. It's a supply chain virus. And uh, that is being engineered in China. You want to talk about a gain of function, weaponized attack? It's the supply chain virus coming out of Shanghai. But going back to the monkeypox, uh, They say, although monkeypox is usually mild, it can prove fatal in rare cases. The strain causing the current outbreak kills an average of one in 100 infected. I think that's highly inflated. Uh, You've seen some of these uh, statements saying 1% or uh, 3.7%, but um, uh, this is because they're pushing vaccines, but they're pushing something else. There's not an Operation Warp Speed program coming, not yet. Uh, for monkeypox. And even more interesting is the fact that uh, Michael P. Singer and others have pointed out the prophetic monkeypox simulation. The first ever global monkeypox outbreak happens in the exact week that was predicted in a biosecurity simulation a year prior. Elite media outlets around the world, just one year after an international Biosecurity Conference in Munich held a simulation of a global pandemic involving an unusual strain of monkeypox that was supposed to begin mid-May of 2022. As a matter of fact, they picked May the 15th, almost got to the exact day that it breaks. And they showed in their simulation, their scenario simulation, they showed uh, four different phases of it. In the first phase, they said an international alert 
and warning system. That's where we are right now. Uh, You've got the international system of alert and panic from the Drudge Report to CNN to everybody else. WHO says this, we're all going to die from monkeypox. Look at how scary it is. Look at the pustles on somebody's hand because that's where they typically show up is on hands. And I don't know if those are pictures of monkeypox or smallpox. Because I said, uh, uh, you have um, CNN showing pictures of smallpox. And then they take it forward to January of 2023. So it shows up in May of 2022, May 15th, right? And um, so for a couple of weeks, you just have an international alert and warning system. And then by January the 10th, you realize that this is not ordinary monkeypox. This is gain-of-function monkeypox. It's been engineered to be vaccine-resistant. And it's going to affect international supply chain challenge. Uh, supply chain, of course. Everything does, right? Uh, then by May of next year, we're supposed to find out that it was done by a civilian biolab by, I guess, presumably some freelance bioterrorists, you know, not a, not a state actor, but some somebody who's, um, you know, got CRISPR that they can do in their garage. And uh, by the way, that's that's you can do that in your garage. I mean, it's taken the uh, what used to be a very, very expensive, highly technical, um, complicated thing. And it's simplified. I mean, it's not not everybody can do it, obviously, but it has brought the level of that down to where people are concerned about bioengineering being done by hackers and uh, freelance uh, people whether they're malicious or not it could create something that was malicious so uh, by next year that's what we're supposed to find out and then the solution comes after that uh, by december of 2023 we realize we realize that what we need is international preparation for pandemic we need an international organization to control us when we have a pandemic We need to make sure that uh, as we see this, we can see that in some places it worked, uh, the response worked, and in others it didn't. So we need to have a unified approach. Oh, do we? I mean, what did we see in terms of all the COVID measures? We saw that as uh, almost everybody went down the prescribed path prescribed by the WHO, uh, that with uh, a few exceptions, you know, Sweden being one of them. And then we started having individual U.S. states that pulled back from the demanded response. And we saw that as that happened, that it made um, no difference whatsoever to go through all of the procedures that they told us, whether it was masks or social distancing or lockdown or any of that. None of that stuff made any difference whatsoever. That's important to know. And that's why it's important not to have a single approach to any of this stuff. You want to have multiple approaches so you can see what makes it better, what makes it worse, what makes no difference, and so forth. That is, that is why we never wanted a central, uh, centrally organized government. We want to have the laboratory of individual states. Even when you're talking about even political approaches or social problems, you want to have a variety of responses so you can evaluate what works and what doesn't work. And you especially want to have that during a pandemic. But see, the push is to have all this done centrally. And that was the point of their simulation that they ran exactly a year ago, showing that they were going to have a monkeypox outbreak. 
And so the comment from James, uh, I'm sorry, uh, Michael Zinger said monkeypox first identified in 1958. There's never been a global monkeypox outbreak outside of Africa. But the exact week of the exact month predicted by the biosecurity folks and their pandemic simulation, it happens. What a coincidence, right? How lucky are these guys? He says, take these guys to Vegas. I mean, these guys, <laughs> they can pick the horses and they can pick the poxes. Uh, Ed Young, who's penned dozens of hysterical articles on COVID for the Atlantic, including things such as, COVID-19 long haulers are fighting for their future. Or even healthcare workers with long COVID are being dismissed and on and on. Uh, he's all over this new monkeypox outbreak. Eric Feigelding is also on the scene and pushing the panic. The U.S. government is hot on the scene. They've ordered 13 million monkeypox vaccine doses from Bavarian Nordic, uh, one of the two companies that have been making monkeypox vaccines. So the WHO has convened an emergency meeting as the USK, as the US, uh, the UK cases have doubled to 20 out of 66 million people. So an emergency meeting. They're hyping this thing to an unbelievable extent. Striking a resemblance to the outbreak of COVID-19 just months after event 201. One person who was present at both Event 201 and the monkeypox simulation is George Fu Gao, director of the Chinese Center for Disease Control. And in this article from Michael Singer, uh, he shows a picture of Gao at Event 201 right next to Avril Haines, director of national intelligence, the highest level intelligence official in the U.S. So... Again, what is happening with these people? The deep state, the intelligence community, uh, and on all these simulations, as R.K. Jr. pointed out in his book about Fauci, I think the best chapter on that is uh, chapter 12, where he talks about the germ games. He talks about the connection of the deep state of the CIA and all of this, the deep, deep connection to gain a function and to all these pandemic simulations. It's not just event 201, as I've said many, many times. Yeah, it's pretty interesting that they did it a year before exactly the same thing happened, but they'd been practicing this thing going all the way back to 2001. And uh, again, uh, this Model State Health Emergency Powers Act, which was a product of first the simulation, and then the false flag the week after the, the dark winter simulation, two months before 9-11, one week after 9-11, you had the anthrax attack. Then two months later, you have the Model State Health Emergency Powers Act put out there. It was model legislation sent to the states. The states gave themselves the power. That was to get around the legal challenges of the Ninth and Tenth Amendment. They've been planning this thing to the nth degree in the same way that, you know, Biden and uh, uh you know, others wanted, uh, you know, the, the design from the New England Journal of Medicine and the plan that would have been used pretty much exclusively by the Trump administration, I believe, was to have private organizations push this on their employees so they could say, well, you can't do anything about that. If you have the states lock down everything, they say, well, this isn't coming from the federal government, even though we're subsidizing it, even though we're uh, financially incentivizing it. It's not coming from us. It's coming from the states. And so it's not a violation of the 10th Amendment. The Blue Apples also talks about what 
are smallpox pandemic simulations foreshadowing. Event 202. From Event 201 to the controversial decisions of the Obama and Trump administration to remove a moratorium placed on the funding of gain-of-function research, to the seemingly preemptive declaration of Fauci in 2017 that the U.S. would soon face a pandemic, monkeypox and the simulations of that draw a lot of parallels. And uh, so it's important to understand that um, these things are being pushed to us. The headline from WND, powers that be are shoveling fear porn in this latest health crisis. And it is not a crisis. 20 people having something that's been around for quite a while out of 66 million is not a crisis. It has spread through close contact, can easily be contained through hygiene, through self-isolation. The headlines from Drudge say it all. Monkeypox spreading through sex, Belgium forces quarantine, outbreak explodes. Biden says, be concerned, be afraid, be very afraid. That was the thing they used to always use on the horror movie trailers back in the 80s. Be afraid, be very afraid. The fly, remember that? But it caught on. Everybody started using that. So, yeah, be afraid. It's the, the monkeypox is coming for you. Uh, so here's what Robert Malone has to say about it. He says, truth versus fear porn. Hello, it is Ryan. And I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on Chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me. And you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. If you only have a 401k, you're not getting the most for retirement. Wait, what? Add a Robinhood IRA on top, then they'll boost it by 3%. You can do that? And if you transfer in any retirement account, you get 3% on top of that. Is there a limit to the match? No limit. Robinhood Gold gets you the biggest contribution match of any IRA on the market. Sign up for Robinhood Gold at Robinhood.com slash boost by April 30th. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Match on transfers subject to additional terms and conditions. Robinhood Financial LLC, member SIPC. He says, I keep getting asked the same questions again and again. Is this outbreak of monkeypox a real threat? Or is it another case of overstated, weaponized public health messaging? He says, I'm going to save my answer to this question for the end of the article. He says, first, I want to tell you about the nature and the characteristic of the associated disease, what we know and what we don't know. And so, as I said before, he points out the monkeypox virus is related to the smallpox virus, uh, also called variola. There's major minor variola, the smallpox. Uh, those are variants. Variants of variola. Uh, anyway, he says, however, uh, variola is a species of viruses which is responsible for the worst human disease caused by the orthopox viruses. So it's a whole family. In the family of smallpox and monkeypox, you also have cowpox, horsepox, camelpox. <laughs> uh, none of which are a major health threat to humans. And one of which, listen to this, cowpox has even been historically used as a smallpox vaccine. Why? Because it's not fatal and because 
when your body sees something from this family of poxes and builds the antibodies for it, you get cross immunity to the whole family of cowpox, horsepox, camelpox, monkeypox, and smallpox. About that. <laughs> and so, uh, once you have a once a pox is upon thee, uh, then thou art protected from any future poxes that may come your way. Uh, so that's how they used it. And, and that's why, you know, that, that's an important thing to understand that these other poxes were not life threatening and they would actually use them as an inoculation to train your immune system, uh, to, uh, to handle that. So he says, my point is that just because monkeypox is related to smallpox, this does not in any way mean that it represents a similar public health threat. Anybody who implies otherwise is basically engaged in or otherwise supporting weaponized public health-related propaganda. We're talking about you, CNN. And Alex Jones. Monkeypox was first identified in 1958 in a colonies of monkeys and in the first human case, 1970, in the Democratic Republic of the Congo. The West African monkeypox, circulating outside of Africa at this time, causes a milder disease compared to the closely related virus found in other regions of Africa, such as the Congo. So what do you get with it? You get influenza-like symptoms, fever, body aches, and chills, together with swollen lymph nodes. A rash on the palm of the hand is often observed. In the latter stages of the disease, which may last for up to a month or more in some cases. Wait a minute. What is this about a 21-day quarantine in Belgium? Eh. Are they paying attention? <laughs> A month or more? Uh, well, let's hope that they don't uh, pay attention to that. They'll be locking everybody up uh, who are not symptomatic. Anyway, in the latter stages of this, which could last up to a month or more, it may involve small lesions which develop a crust, which can result in small depigmented scar. There is no evidence of asymptomatic transmission. Let me repeat that. There is no evidence of asymptomatic transmission and that if we understood the implications of that should short circuit a lot of this fear porn that is out there right now uh, you know we also have another pox isn't it funny that they're all named after animals you know horses cows camels monkeys and chicken chicken pox which is highly transmissible is not part of the genus orthopox virus despite having the name pox once again Cowpox and camelpox are part of the orthopox virus. They are not particularly pathogenic when contracted by humans. Just because monkeypox is a pox <laughs> and the genus orthopox virus does not mean that it is particularly deadly. Monkeypox is a double-stranded DNA virus, which means that each of the two strands acts as a check on the other during replication. Isn't that interesting? You know, DNA is a very, very highly complex code. Um, you know, we, uh, you had, uh, Fauci's boss, Francis Collins, who spent decades and untold amounts of money with teams of scientists and computers to try to sequence DNA. Uh, but of course, you know, we shouldn't think that there is any intelligent design behind life, right? <laughs> These same people who searched the skies for some kind of a repeating uh, signal 
And then within our own bodies is this incredibly complex messaging system with error correction and the rest of this stuff. And they pay no attention whatsoever to that. So instead of searching the skies for extraterrestrial intelligence, maybe you ought to search inside your body for evidence of God and his design. You know, this is uh, arranged just as we talk about uh, computer codes. You know, you have bits, you have bytes, you have words when you organize the bytes together. And um, in the beginning was information. In the beginning was the word, right? Intelligence. And that's what you can see in your DNA if you want to take a look at it. But he points out that because it's got two strands, they're actually acting as an air-checking device to try to keep down variants. So what he's, his point is, is that DNA viruses, if they change, mutate, again, because they're being copied, you're going to have uh, copying errors because they're being copied by your body. Uh, but those copying errors are going to somewhat be uh, kept in check by this dual-strand aspect of it. And he said that'll happen more slowly than it does with RNA viruses. Mm. Oh, so RNA can change very rapidly compared to DNA, right? That's right. Another interesting point of this. Um, current data indicates that monkeypox is not very infectious in humans. It has a low R0, perhaps before uh, below one. I don't know if that's RO or R0, but that R factor, we'll call it, of less than one means that uh, even if you don't have any containment measures, every person that's infected will, on the average, um, infect less than one other person. So it doesn't really spread. You know, you have, if you're less than one, you're not going to be passing this on. A virus with an, a transmission factor of less than one is easily contained with standard public health measures uh, that, you know, washing your hands, uh, things like that. As a matter of fact, uh, just general hygiene, washing your hands, has been credited many people as being far more effective than anything else that modern medicine has done. Just general hygiene. Uh, Robert Malone says, let me give you a personal story here to illustrate the point. He said, after the 9-11 events, including the anthrax letters, which is, again, all tied together, just as 9-11 and the Patriot Act is all tied together with all of these measures to lock us down uh these this this uh medical stuff they're all tied together politically uh and um uh, i guess we could say with surveillance of police state measures um anyway right after the anthrax letters he said i took a job involving clinical development of a wide range of biodefense vaccines under the department of defense with a contract he said one of the vaccine indications that we were working on was for the prevention of smallpox. Then Vice President Dick Cheney was advocating for widespread vaccination against smallpox because it was thought that there was something like a 1% chance of a bioterror attack involving reintroduction of smallpox into the U.S. The existing live attenuated smallpox vaccine began to be deployed throughout the U.S. to healthcare workers and first responders. What does that mean? Live attenuated. Well, vaccines, as I pointed out many times, we talk about the mRNA vaccines. Uh, vaccines have typically given people a, uh, a weakened or dead pathogen, or a weakened or inactivated pathogen, let's just say, since viruses are not alive. So you have either a weakened or a completely deactivated one. Now, 
for smallpox, uh, they had both of those there. And, um, and when I talk about that, I usually say, well, you know, that's one of the things that's really different about the mRNA vaccines. It's not a, a weakened, uh, attenuated, or deactivated uh, pathogen. Instead, your body is programmed to make the pathogen, unattenuated pathogen, the spike protein, that then distributes very rapidly throughout your body and accumulates in vital organs and other things like that. And depending on the person's response, uh, not only just their immune response, but also their body's response in terms of how it responds to the mRNA. You know, how efficient is your body in terms of propagating the mRNA, which creates the spike? So there's a lot of different factors that are at, at play here. And um, so, you know, you're, you're being reprogrammed to produce something that is a fully activated pathogen. That's what's so deadly, really, about this Trump shot the genetic code injection. So uh, in this particular case, Dick Cheney uh, was stoking fear about a bio attack with smallpox. And so they started injecting the military with attenuated smallpox that was still uh, active, but weakened. He said, then multiple reports of vaccine caused damage began to circulate. I was tasked into looking into historic Department of Defense smallpox vaccine campaign records concerning these types of adverse events. In some cases, a small subset of young warfighters and recruits had some previously undetected immunologic defect, which resulted in them developing an ongoing infection by the live attenuated vaccine. The other group developed more subtle symptoms, including what now appears to be vaccination-associated myo and pericarditis that is typically ascribed to an autoimmune process. In other words, he said they saw this myocarditis and pericarditis when they gave the attenuated but functional smallpox on the orders vaccine on the orders of Dick Cheney. He said it turned out to be all risk and no benefit, kind of like the COVID-19 vaccines. But uh, unlike the COVID-19 vaccines, that campaign was halted, he said. And Robert Malone goes on to say, key takeaway, the virus, this virus mutates slowly. It is not highly infectious. It is naturally acquired immunity. Naturally acquired immunity is potent and long lasting. Orthopox vaccines are usually cross protected. And that's what he was talking about earlier, where he said they take the harmless to humans, relatively harmless to humans, let's say relatively, uh, cowpox, and give that in the early days to uh, people, and that would help to protect them against smallpox because they're cross-protected. He said there was a prior outbreak of monkeypox in the U.S. during 2003. Did you hear about that? Oh, why are you hearing so much about it now? It was first reported outside of Africa. It was traced back to the importation of small mammals from Ghana. Eventually, it spread to prairie dogs that were being sold as pets in multiple Midwestern states, according to the CDC. Have you ever heard of any, have you ever heard of anybody having a prairie dog as a pet? I mean, I've not seen, I've seen fennel foxes and stuff like that. Uh, I've, I've not heard of this before, but uh, I don't know. Uh, anyway, uh, prairie dogs. <laughs> uh, there is a, there is a vaccine <laughs> that was licensed in the U.S. in 2019 for people 18 years of age and younger. That's the one, the Bavarian Nordic uh, that is being uh, millions of doses are being put out by um, 
Biden now, right away, right? And then there's another one from another company. Both of these vaccines are licensed only for people who are considered to be at high risk of contracting the disease because they are not entirely safe. Not the people, the vaccines. <laughs> but of course, the vaccines not being entirely safe doesn't mean that they don't have full product liability for that, right? That's the thing that you have to understand about that. Uh, in the 2003 monkeypox outbreak in the U.S., smallpox vaccine was deployed to people who are considered to be at high risk. And then Robert Malone says this. The Gates-funded organization Gavi, Global Alliance for Vaccine Initiative, right? This is his organization to, you know, pushes immunization agenda 2030, IA 2030. Everyone, everywhere, every age vaccinated. And so Gavi is a key part of that IA 2030. Uh, their assessment of monkeypox, he says, seeks to create parallels between monkeypox and Ebola. Ebola. Virus, similar to viruses like Ebola, transmission only happens in close proximity by contact with lesions, body fluids, respiratory droplets, that type of thing, which is what they're saying in the Gates-funded Gavi. And again, um, I guess we shouldn't be worried about this then because, you know, that's when Clay Jenkins, the guy who was the uh, Dallas uh, official, the judge in the county there where, where uh, Dallas is, when you had Ebola come to town in the shape of a illegal immigrant from Africa, oh, well, we have to not be concerned about that, right? And, and I guess this is the interesting thing. If we just fluffed off, Ebola, which, depending on the strain of Ebola, has a case fatality rate of 40 to 80%. I mean, we're not talking about 1% like this. But if we're just going to dismiss that and say, meh, no, no problem. You know, it's easily handled. Just wear some protective clothing or something, as Clay Jenkins did. And then, you know, a couple of years later, well, actually, that was, what, 2014, 15, something like that. And then um, six, five, six years later, uh, he's trying to destroy the life of a hairstylist who is continuing to try to earn a living in his town, his town. He's the dictator there in his town, trying to earn a living by doing hair during COVID. No, no, no. Take away, I'm going to put you in jail. I'm going to take away your business. Single mom trying to support her kids and her family. Uh, this disgusts me. Uh, but yeah, they're just going to dismiss, it. you know, something has a case fatality rate again. One of the highest, uh, once you get Ebola, one of the highest uh, fatality rates there. And that guy did die. But, you know, we couldn't talk about it because he was an illegal immigrant of color, of color. So it'd be wrong to talk about that. Now, he, he's not a threat. Well, no, nobody was saying he was a threat. They were saying that Ebola was a threat. Oh, but you'd be xenophobic. You'd be anti-immigrant if you talked about him so we got to go out of our way to tell everybody as clay jenkins did hey we got a football game coming up houston dallas going to be playing each other go to the football we have thousands of doctors and nurses we got dozens of hospitals in the air you'll be fine no problem with ebola but hey with covid <laughs> forget it everything the world comes to an end with covid uh yeah completely different approach isn't it uh so um Pants on fire disinformation is what Robert Malone is saying. He says um, uh, this pants on fire disinformation comes from the same article. Although symptoms often ease within a month, one in 10 cases can be fatal. Children are particularly susceptible. You see how they're 
pushing this up, the case fatality rate. It's absolutely ridiculous. And he talks about that. But then he goes on to say, as I was waiting in an airport lounge to travel from the USA to UK two days ago, said Robert Malone, I saw a newsreel from CNN, which was breathlessly reporting on this threat of monkeypox. While displaying horrific, uh, historic images and horrific images of patients suffering from smallpox, CNN should be reprimanded for broadcasting irresponsible propaganda, misinformation, and disinformation under the guise of journalism. Unless there has been some genetic alteration, it is not a significant biothreat. And it has never been considered to be a high threat pathogen in the past, in the past, which, by the way, makes this simulation that they did a year ago all the more suspicious because that simulation, uh, you know, that they did saying in the middle of May, the next year, this year, that you'd have a monkeypox outbreak, uh, they proceeded in that simulation to tell people that it was a gain of function weaponized uh, in a uh, private lab, which just goes to show that you need to have more centralized control of everything, right? And uh, all the tools have to belong to them. But you know, it's not just CNN. On the other end of the spectrum, you have InfoWars. And uh, Alex Jones is being called out uh, by Forbes magazine for saying that the monkeypox is due to COVID-19 vaccines. I don't think there's any information that we can reliably say that. And I think that what Alex Jones is doing by saying this is as reprehensible as what CNN is doing by putting up pictures, historic pictures of smallpox, as if that were monkeypox. And talking about monkeypox as if it were smallpox. You see, the problem with this is that you've got this pincer attack from both the right and the left pushing fear porn. And I pushed back against this when I was at InfoWars. I think I was the first person to point out that, hey, look, you know, we ought to pay attention to this because the only biosafety uh, lab, level four biosafety lab in China is right there at Wuhan, right there at the spot that they said was ground zero, the wet market. But I also said at the same time, as the fear porn started ramping up from Alex and from Mike Adams and pretty much everybody else there, I said, the worst thing that we could do would be to do what China has done, to follow them into lockdown, to follow them into these kinds of precautionary things that, um, you know, the New England Journal of Medicine and all the rest of the establishment was pushing and to be that afraid of it. I said, that is going to cripple us, and we're never going to get those powers back. And so I said, regardless of whether this is even a, a, uh, a leak or deliberate, uh, engineered as a weapon and deliberately released, I said, even under that worst case scenario, deliberately engineered, deliberately released, the worst thing we could do is what Trump is planning to do and being goaded into doing. And I said that before it happened, 800 and two days ago when it happened. I'd been saying it for a couple of months before that. So I've seen this kind of over-the-top fear porn before. And what did it do? You see, we should have had a unified approach. The people who supported Trump should have been hammering him to not follow Fauci's recommendations. 
Instead, there was so much fear on our side saying that it was a gain-of-function weaponized thing that uh, people, uh, and I saw many people had, you know, billionaire supporter of Alex's came by the studio and talked about it. And then he'd just come back from, um, uh, from uh, talking to Greg Abbott. I talked to him in the parking lot. And he said, yeah, I've just been at Greg Abbott. I told him, you got to lock everything down right now. And he gets on air and Alex is saying, you got to lock down everything right now. So you see, they're both pushing this lockdown, but they're pushing it from the radical two different sides that are supposed to be completely opposite of each other. But that's how you get the pincer movement. Both of these sides that are supposedly portraying themselves as being on opposite ends are really pushing the same approach. The World Health Organization's approach was being pushed by the fear porn coming from left and from right. So what Forbes is saying is that Alex Jones's argument was the monkeypox outbreak has been affecting the same companies, uh, same countries where people have been receiving the AstraZeneca and Johnson and Johnson COVID-19 vaccines. Uh, 12 countries have had it, but actually those vaccines have been involved and distributed to more than 12 countries. So that's the first problem with this line of reasoning. The second thing is that he said uh, the virus vectors that inject the genome of a chimpanzee into your cells and then orders your cells to replicate under those orders. Well, that's not exactly true. Uh, the Johnson and Johnson vaccine uh, doesn't use a chimpanzee adenovirus. It uses a human adenovirus. Uh, that is uh, of concern to me, quite frankly. I don't like that kind of transmission. I mean, you look at the Moderna and the Pfizer, they deliver the mRNA instructions to your body to reprogram your body. They deliver that encapsulated in polyethylene glycol. It's pegylated, PEG. Uh, the Johnson & Johnson and the AstraZeneca deliver the mRNA coding. They all produce the spike. See, that's the key thing. They all produce the spike. Two of them deliver the instructions in a plastic ball, if you will. The other two piggyback it on an adenovirus. And uh, now what they're saying is this is a non-replicating adenovirus. They say there's a double-stranded DNA virus and so forth. Um as part of the uh, pox thing, which is true. But, you know, of course, um, the uh, human adenoviruses, if you look at how they replicate, and I'm quoting here from a story, this is actually a paper uh, on adenovirus DNA replication going back to 2013, Cold Spring Harbor Perspective and Biology. Uh, you'll find it on the NIH website. And what this says about adenoviruses, they said they've attracted much attention as probes to study biological processes such as DNA replication, transcription, splicing, and cellular transformation. Uh, again, 2013 paper. They said adenoviruses are notorious pathogens in people with compromised immune functions. You see, they're not harmless. They themselves can be pathogenic. They also point out the human adenoviruses are grouped in seven species. Within the species, distinct types are recognized based on the absence of serological cross-neutralization. The successful propagation in tissue culture of small DNA tumor viruses, like the adenoviruses. Wait a minute, tumor virus? Tumor virus? You know, we've seen a big increase, haven't we? Uh... 
hundreds to thousands of percent increases in different cancers in the Department of Defense database, which I think is the best database. They've now discounted that, said, well, you know, the data that we took during the uh, the year that we're giving vaccines out to people, you can't count on that. You can count on that rather, but but don't pay attention to the previous five years. That's all wrong now. We realize that's wrong because you compared this year when people were getting the vaccines, you compared current data to historical data five years ago. And you said, well, the number of cases of uh, this particular disease and that disease has gone up by hundreds or by thousands of percent. And a lot of those are cancers of all types. Now, the adenovirus is a tumor virus. So he said the successful propagation and tissue culture of small DNA tumor viruses like the adenoviruses and SV40. Remember that? SV40. Simeon virus 40. That was what turned up in the polio vaccines in the 1950s. Simeon virus 40. It was associated with a big increase in cancers. Just had a family member who, uh, against my advice, uh, got himself and his family injected with the COVID vaccines. He's just been identified with bladder cancer. Now, I can't say that that was the cause of it, but I knew, though, that it is, if you look at the military database and they carry, carefully look at this, why? For the same reason that Dick Cheney was so paranoid and say, well, we got to vaccinate uh, the military for smallpox. They're always concerned, and rightfully so, about a bioweapon attack against the military. And so they're constantly monitoring and looking for something like that. And so they keep close statistics. Those are going to be even better statistics than the early warning system of VAERS. And it is showing a massive increase in cancers. Would that have something to do with it? You see, the problem is we can't talk about these real things because we've got Alex Jones muddying the water with his idea that we're being injected with chimp adenoviruses. The human adenoviruses are just as bad. And um, they, um, <laughs> uh, again, when you look at this, you look at the geographic distribution of this, um, there's, I don't see any reason whatsoever except if you want to gain attention to make the kind of statements that Alex Jones made about the monkeypox stuff. Uh, as a matter of fact, the, um, uh, what the WHO is coming out and saying is whether or not that's true. I don't know. Do you believe anything they have to say? What they're saying is that this is a product apparently of homosexual sex. There has been a five-year-old, presumably, hopefully, uh, that was not involved in his particular case. A five-year-old in the UK with monkeypox. But that was one of the cases that Forbes was using to say, well, uh, five-year-olds in the UK are not eligible for the vaccine. So this kid was probably not vaccinated. Probably. But again, when you look at uh, the fact that the adenovirus is contagious, that's what I think a lot of people have been concerned about with shedding. So we don't know. We can't rule it. I'm not ruling it out. But I'm just saying that when you engage in rhetoric and speculation that is completely untethered from any research, as Alex repeatedly has done, first with COVID and now again with monkeypox, all that does is discredit the real concerns about the vaccines.
We have very well documented at this point, it's been documented uh, for over a year, year and a half. We've documented how dangerous this vaccine is. And it's a real struggle to get people to understand that. So Alex comes in and he defecates all over this with his narrative. Now they will come in and they'll say, well, you know, it's uh, yeah, they even think that the monkeypox thing is coming from the vaccine. You see, all these people who are concerned about adverse effects from the Trump shots, that's nothing. You know, that's just crazy talk. And that's how this works. You have the agents of disinformation for the deep state from the left and from the right selling fear porn at the beginning of COVID and now at the beginning of this. New York City reporting its first case. WHO warning it's going to accelerate. Why? Because they are going to test everybody. They're going to make an issue out of a single case and a country of tens of millions of people. They will create the pandemic. And they'll be aided in it by the people who are pushing the fear porn. All right, we're going to take a quick break and we will be right back. Stay with us. Let's see. Let's get the, uh, let's get the whistler here. Um, I don't see it. <laughs> it's been a while here. Um, let's see. We'll go. Listening to the David Knight Show. And we will get the uh, whistler next break. <laughs> I just located it on my board here. Sorry about that. And I've got some comments and some tips I want to respond to. Uh, Life and Liberty says, I'd like to assist in helping to create the bumper stickers. David, I do graphic arts. I can't donate money, but I can help here. Well, that'd be good. I'd be open to it. Send uh, suggestions to David Knight Show at protonmail.com. Always open to suggestions. And uh, now that we're here, I mean, we still have, as I pointed out, it's like a shipwreck. We got flotsam everywhere. Uh, trying to sort through things, even trying to find things on my board that were here before. But uh, the um, as as we're going through the change, we've still got a lot of things to do, like find our silverware. But as soon as we get that done, we are going to work on some merchandise. So I'd appreciate that. Thank you. Uh, conservative thinker, thank you very much for the tip. It says, now that the move has occurred, can we pre-order bumper stickers? Yes, yes, that's uh, exactly. Uh, well, I don't have any way for you to do that. That's a key thing that has happened even more so than the artwork is because uh, we do have some ideas ourselves uh but um that is setting up uh the mechanism for doing that uh ej moles thank you very much for the tip uh, stephanie martin thank you as well woohoo she says you're back love garden tony 
but there's only one David Knight. Well, that's very kind of you. Thank you very much. I appreciate that. And again, I can't thank Guard and Tony enough uh, for doing that. Let's talk a little bit about elections, because this also was something that happened uh, <laughs> while I was gone. And, and before I get into talking about elections and questions about elections and whether or not they're legitimate, let me just say that in the same way that we look at the monkeypox stuff, uh, understand that all this concern and this obsession, there's no other way to talk about it, but this obsession of the Trump cult about the previous election. Good example of it, 2,000 mules. They should call it 2020 fools. <laughs> That's what I would have called it. A bunch of 2020 fools who can't see where they're headed and don't care where they're headed because they're too busy looking behind them to look at what is ahead. And they don't even understand what happened in 2020. The big story in 2020 wasn't the mules. That was a given. Everybody knew that was going to happen. The big story was an unprecedented lockdown election where it went beyond. We've always had some absentee ballots, but they were small and then it was a different process. You had to request it and they would send it to you and on and on. But this was a mail out, mail out the ballots, mail out the ballots to everybody. Why? Because we were locked down. Why? Because Fauci said so and Trump did everything Fauci said. That's why he didn't have the conventions. He didn't have the rallies. He didn't have an election. Why? Because Fauci said so. And so it was a given. He reaped what he sowed. And I have no sympathy for Trump. I have no sympathy for D'Souza or any of these other 2000 fools who are trying to make us look back at 2020. It is a self-serving distraction. Let's talk about what the real issue is here. And I think the real issue, you had a candidate, one candidate, in Colorado's gubernatorial election has called for eliminating its one-person, one-vote approach in favor of a state-level electoral college. Now, this guy is getting close to a solution. You see, the problems that we have in our elections are not simply counting the votes. It starts long before that. It's how the whole process is organized. It's how we have, whether or not we have ballot access for people who are independent candidates or whether it's going to be completely controlled by political parties. And that's why I talked about uh, Trump's selection of the carpetbagger in Tennessee, Morgan Ortegas, and these other people who came in who were not from Tennessee. They'd not been here. They didn't know the situation. That'd be really arrogant for me to come into Tennessee and say, well, now I'm going to fix everything for you and I'm going to you know, uh, elect me, you know, and I'm going to, I haven't lived here. I don't know what the problems are here. It'd be really arrogant to do that. And it was also something that they didn't allow the state representatives to represent an area unless they had lived in the area for three years. And so they applied that same standard. And that was a good thing that they did. But you see, that was pushed back as saying, well, the, the, uh, uh, the political parties have too much control because the political party also got involved. The GOP said, well, according to our rules, you don't qualify. And they didn't change the rules for them. Those were the rules uh, pretty much. But the um, I believe. Uh, but the bottom line is they did change the rules at the state level. And that was a bipartisan thing. The problem is that you do have too much party control, even though I think it was appropriate what was done to stop these people who obviously were opportunist coming in for an open seat. They had no interest in representing Tennessee. They were representing themselves. 
And, of course, uh, Trump was a part of that. But, see, the problems are much bigger than that. And when we talk about the Electoral College, I've mentioned many times as an example. I said, look at, if you want to understand that you're going to boil the election down to just a couple of big cities, not even a couple of big states, but a couple of big cities. Why? Because the big cities in the states will typically drive the state elections. Look at Virginia, for example. The Virginia elections, even though Virginia is overwhelmingly conservative outside of the cities, you have the suburbs of Washington, D.C., and then you have the Virginia Beach area. Those areas are heavily Democrat, and they will, it's a back and forth fight between them and the rest of the state, which is Republican. In other states, it's not even that close. And it happens everywhere. For example, you know, if you want to throw the election, what did we see in the 2000 election, right? We had, it was a close election between Gore and Bush. And it was close enough that by flipping one state, Florida, you could flip the election. But it wasn't just one, you know, it wasn't just the whole state of Florida. It was one area in particular. I think it was West Palm Beach, wasn't it? Where they had the hanging chad stuff that went on forever. But, you know, it was one area. If they could flip that one area, that would flip the entire state. And then that would flip the entire election. And so, as this article from the New American, Selwyn Duke's article, points out, he said, stealing election as occurred in 2020 requires manipulating the vote not only in just a handful of swing states, but merely in one or two cities or counties within each of those states. For example... Philadelphia and Pittsburgh. If you can manipulate the ballots in Philadelphia and Pittsburgh, you can swing Pennsylvania. Uh, And you can get 20 electoral votes. The same is true of Detroit and Michigan, of Milwaukee and Wisconsin, of Fulton County and Georgia. Cooking the books in those population centers will neutralize the rest of the state's counties' influence. And we're seeing this over and over again. And so I have argued from the standpoint, I said, you want to see how bad this is? You know, look at how a couple of cities will control a state's elections. And that's why I said, you know, you're going to have to work at the county and local level to try to get the government that you want to have because of the outsized influence of these urban centers, which are against liberty. As Thomas Jefferson said, big cities are a threat to the health, the wealth, and the liberty of mankind. And that's been that way, always was. But it's even more so that way. And the cities have gotten to be an even bigger concentration and even more of a threat to the health, wealth, and liberty of mankind than they ever were in Jefferson's time. So I said, you know, if you look at this, that's one of the reasons why you can't really even affect legitimate change at the state level. And that's what this GOP candidate in Colorado recognizes. And that's what he's proposing. But before I get into his proposal, let me just give you another example of this. Within a county, I have seen this happen. Back in North Carolina, we lived in a county that was a suburb of Chapel Hill, where UNC Chapel Hill, if you remember them, you know, from Barrick and the gain-of-function stuff and everything. But UNC Chapel Hill is a bastion of liberal politics and society, that type of thing. And it spilled over into the county that we lived in. 
And so you had a lot of people just like, you know, in Virginia, you have the suburbs of Washington, D.C. spill over into Virginia. Same thing happened. We had the suburbs of Chapel Hill spill over into our county. And it's just one corner of the county that had that spillover. And there were uh, the rest of the county had um, uh, farmers in the rural areas who, in most cases, the farms had been in their families for generations. And some of them wanted to make some changes. Some of them wanted to develop the farmland or whatever. They uh, wanted to do some things that the uh, people who were the Chapel Hill spillovers did not want. And so the first thing that these, these people from the, U, from the UNC area were very clever. They understood how politics works. And this is why I'm using this analogy, because you need to understand how it works. You need to understand what they know. And what they did was what this guy is proposing, but in reverse. Prior to them getting involved in politics, you had the county uh, commissioners were elected on a regional basis. And they came in and the first thing they did was to push for the election of county commissioners across the county, right? Where they were not tied to a particular location. They were elected at large. And once they did, once they went from a regional representation to an at-large representation, guess what? Because of their superior numbers, because they came in and these subdivisions, and I guess you could say that the farmers had sown the seeds of their own destruction by developing their land. But again, um, the, uh, because they came in with these high population density areas in just a small part of the county, the first thing they did was to say, we're going to elect the commissioners at large. And then after they got the at large thing, then they told the farmers what they could and could not do with their multi-generational farmland and took their property rights away. Now, what this guy in Colorado is proposing is to, uh, he pitched the idea of using an electoral college-based approach for statewide political office, arguing that the current system favors large cities at the expense of rural counties. One of the things I'm going to do, and I've already put a plan together, said Greg Lopez, a Republican candidate for Colorado's governor. One of the things I'm going to do is I'm going to introduce a conversation about doing away with a popular vote for statewide elected officials and doing an electoral college vote for statewide elected officials. Lopez said in an audio acquired by Nine News and report published last Wednesday. So, again, it's getting away from this at large. You know, everybody vote across the state voting uh, to having different regions vote and then doing it. And it makes all the difference in the world. It may sound like it's a distinction without a difference at first glance, but I've seen what happens. I've seen what happens when that's taken away at the county level. And of course, we can see how that works in state after state. Going back to Selwyn Duke's article, he says, rural counties residents nationwide have sometimes lamented their lack of representation at the state and national government. Uh, so it's determined by major cities. The plan would almost certainly be unconstitutional, said a Democrat. Why? Well, because under the Supreme Court's landmark 1964 ruling in Reynolds versus Sims, guess what? A Supreme Court ruling does not change the Constitution. But uh, Selwyn Duke says, well, 
Um, if that's true, somebody needs to inform ex-federal judge Stephen Robinson, who was a judge that more than a decade ago approved a plan to give every resident of Port Chester, New York, six votes in a village election. Why? The goal was to increase the chances of getting Hispanics elected and the thinking that the locality's Latino residents would be more likely pro, uh, to, uh, than others to exhibit ethnic patriotism and pool their votes. So they've already used it in the other direction as well. Uh, so anyway, his point is that it would, this would not only, if you went to a, uh, a more of a granular representation to have different regions be represented, just as I was talking about with the county elections. If you went to a more regional representation instead of an at-large representation, then what you would have is something that would improve state elections and it would also improve the national election for the reason that I gave you before. You know, if you just flip one or two big city, corrupt big cities totals, you can flip the entire state. And then that with that flipping in just a couple of different places, you can flip the national election. A couple of comments, by the way, that were on this, I thought were good, this New American article. Uh, one person says, well, this is a no-brainer. And it's the second best idea. The only better idea is go back to the original Constitution and eliminate the popular vote entirely, uh, because that's really what the Electoral College was, right? Remember that? You know, Electoral College, as we now have it, is a hybrid uh, variant, a mutant variant of what is in the actual document itself. You know, the electors in the Electoral College uh, were not bound to any popular vote. Uh, they were appointed by the legislatures. And um, that would be a better idea, as a matter of fact. Um, so anyway, um, and, and that would be a better way to do the county elections, right? Have your elections in the county. Have your elections in the county. You, you can't vet, properly vet people that are that far away from you in the first place. I mean, think about the fact that uh, the entire population of the 13 colonies was, if I remember correctly, it was only about 4 million people. I know people will check me on this, but that's what I think. And, you know, now we have states that have tens of millions of people in them. Uh, we don't have a representative form of government anymore, folks, when you have that type of uh, situation. You can't understand who these people are. You can't get a grasp on them. If you can't understand who your next door neighbor is, who's going to be the county commissioner, or the county judge or the, the mayor of the county or whatever they call it, right? If you, can't, if you don't know these people well enough to make a decision and to vote there, you're certainly not going to know the guy who's running for governor. And if you do know those people and you do, if we put the power of the, of the election at that local level, Hopefully, people would pay enough attention to it. If you did it there and you gave those people the power then to say, okay, well, these are your elected representatives at the county level, and they're going to put together essentially an electoral college that is going to select the governor. So you should pay attention to who you vote for at the local level. And yes, you should pay attention because all politics is local. And the liberals understand that. They say, think globally, act locally. We better understand what their global agenda is, but we better block it locally. 
And so I do agree with uh, that comment as well. Uh, another one, I would recommend modifying the plan to weigh a county's votes based on the number of registered voters. One month before the election in the district, this should minimize fraud. Another person says, well, does this include registered dead voters? <laughs> Another one says, how about banning the electoral votes per state by, uh, sorry, basing the electoral votes per state by county. Each county is worth one electoral vote. This would eliminate the safety in numbers often employed in states with one supersized city against multiple low population cities. Look, we need to make the government more local. And uh, it needs the only way that we're going to have grassroots representation is to get the government down to the grassroots, you know, to be involved in it at that level and to make it closer to the people, not in the way that they want. I mean, the way they want to get closer to the people is uh, by becoming godlike powers. You know, they want to be omnipotent, omnipresent, and omniscient about everything. I'm not talking about that kind of close to the people government. I'm talking about a government that uh, is coming from us, not at us. The American people must relocate power to the states. Another uh, one of these articles, same understanding, is starting to develop with people. This one is by Real Clear Books. Uh, Richard Reinsch, Reinsch, as I believe the way you pronounce his name. Anyway, um, yeah, we need to focus, again, not on the presidencies. This is another way that Trump is redirecting us. Not only are they misdirecting us from the real control levers of the election uh, to focusing and fighting over something that Trump was a major instrument in putting in place, the mail-in election. But also to refocus our understanding from the local level to the presidency. Trump ain't going to save us. Even if he was a good guy, he ain't going to save us. Even if he wanted to do all the right things, he's not going to save us. And no other president is going to do that either. As Philip Hamburger argues in his new book, Purchasing Submission, the federal government can impose laws and rules on the states through the so-called spending power. Hmm. You mean like declaring an emergency and giving spending money to governors to buy track and trace stuff like Greg Abbott did in Texas? You mean that kind of thing? And to keep giving them massive amounts of money uh, like Brad Little in Idaho? Many, he got many times the entire state budget was given to Brad Little by Donald Trump to be used as discretionary spending. You see, when you have a politician like these governors given billions of dollars, tens of billions of dollars, hundreds of billions of dollars, right? In California, he gave it to Governor Newsom, Trump did. And look what they do with it. They use it to get political power. Same thing is happening, by the way, right now with Pete Buttigieg. Buttigieg, as uh, you know, his position there at the Department of Transportation, he's got a $200 billion of discretionary money to hand out to states and to local places. And he's using that to uh, purchase political loyalty to him. Why do you think Trump was doing this? Of course, he didn't get any political loyalty out of it. Uh, but he kept funding these people, even though they were doing the wrong things. He points out, our state governments eagerly seek federal grants and funding. 
even though the money comes to strings attached from Washington. And the fact that Trump never pulled those strings, never told any of these governors, stop it. Or I'm going to stop your COVID funding. No, he didn't have a problem with a single thing they were doing. Not a single thing. And so we look at the Oz McCormick campaign. We look at the ultra MAGA fear that was pushed out by, uh, by Drudge uh, against the, um, the, the person who seemed to, you know, she, she called out, uh, Bear called out, Kathy Bear called out uh, both Oz and McCormick as being Davos puppets, and they are. You know, they're globalist elitists. Both of them have even residency issues. But that doesn't stop Trump. He went for the very worst one. And oh, by the way, while all these recounts are going, Mehmet Oz is still hanging on to his Turkish citizenship, which he has cultivated and nourished. And, uh, you know, by being in the military, voting in their elections when he doesn't vote in American elections and all the rest of this stuff, he's going to hang on to that Turkish citizenship until he gets ready to get sworn in. And then he'll get rid of it. Why? Because it would become a hindrance to him to get into certain areas of the Senate. So he'll jettison that off of his back so that he can fit through the doors. But unless he goes, he's going to hang on to it. What does that tell you about this guy? And why is it that Trump doubled down and tripled down and endorsing this guy? Why didn't he jettison him? Hey, what a hypocrite. Anyway, so what are they fighting over? They're fighting over mail ballots. Mail ballots are what they're fighting over. Again, the Trump legacy of mail fraud. The Trump COVID legacy goes on and manifests itself here in this Oz McCormick showdown. We won't know the winner for quite some time because there's thousands of mail votes that are uh, mail ballots that are undated that we still have to look through. Uh, so that's a new thing that was added by Trump. I had said in 2016, I said the 2020 election will be a hacking fest. You'll have people who will be, uh, you know, both, both sides are going to be trying to hack into the voting machines or rigging them one way, preloading them one way or the other. That was a given. That's nothing new. What I didn't see coming was the lockdown, of course, and the mail-in election, but they added that as well. But you have all the other stuff that's always happened, you know, ballot access, debate access, and now this. Rubio is accusing Google of election bias, of censoring campaign emails. Look, I'm not a fan of Marco Rubio, uh, but what Google is doing is uh, <laughs> they are tampering with the election. Rubio for Senate, he says, is in Google purgatory. Since a Pelosi puppet announced that she was running against me, they have sent 66% of my emails to registered supporters of mine. Uh, if With Gmail, they've sent it to spam. So if you're using a Gmail account and you're a registered supporter of Rubio, they're going to send it to spam. 66%. He said during the final weeks of the finance quarters, it climbs to over 90%. Well, join the club, little Marco. <laughs> yeah, this is Marco Rubio. When, when we were censored at InfoWars, he said, uh, I don't even know who you are at Alex. He knew who Alex was. And when he had... Uh, these executives from Google and other places there? What did he say? Did he say, free speech is a God-given right and you better not interfere with it? No. He said, you're going to censor who we tell you to censor, right? Not who China tells you to censor. That's Marco Rubio. Well, guess what? You've been hoisted by your own petard, Rubio. 
been blown up by your own censorship bomb. Yeah, if you uh, embrace this stuff, it eventually comes back to bite you, just as Trump saw when he did nothing to fight against censorship. Uh, what he could have done if he was not happy with it, he could have, A, started his own thing, or just with the power of celebrity, not even the power of the presidency, with the power of celebrity. He could have dealt a fatal blow to a lot of this stuff by just moving to Gab, but he wouldn't do it. Why? Well, because it was free speech. And Jared Kushner didn't like that. Uh, GOP groups say that Google's algorithm could potentially cost them over a billion dollars. Gmail marked 59.3% more emails from right candidates as spam compared to left candidates, whereas Outlook and Yahoo marked 20% and 14%, respectively, uh, more emails from left candidates as spam compared to right candidates, said a um, North Carolina State University study. So they both have their their spins, but it is uh, quite a bit more. Uh, you know, the other ones would, had a, a rate of about 20 to 14%. They did 60% at Google. Well, I, it's hard for me to, uh, again, I'll look at Rubio's response to censorship, even censorship by association. He didn't care. As a matter of fact, he, he wanted censorship. He just wanted to be the one who was telling Google what to do. Well, guess what, Rubio? You created a monster, and now it's coming after you. And I have no sympathy for him or for the GOP. We got kicked off of MailChimp even before we sent off our first email. I mean, how does that happen? Well, same way you get kicked off of PayPal and Venmo with no explanation. Uh, so, yeah, guess what? Uh, Mo Brooks is surging in Alabama. Mo Brooks was endorsed and then unendorsed by Trump. You know, Trump can unendorse people. He didn't unendorse Mehmet Oz, even after all the troubling stuff about abortion and gun control and everything else that uh, uh, Mehmet Oz came out with. He never did unendorse him, but he did unendorse Mo Brooks. Why? Because Mo Brooks said, stop looking backwards at the 2020 election. Look forward. Oh, that's it. He's gone. Well, he's now surging. Uh, the big Mo, the big momentum is now with Mo. And uh, he's trailing the front runner that's endorsed by Trump by only two points. In other words, that's within the margin of error on any poll. Uh, so two months after losing Trump's endorsement, he's back within two points of Trump's endorsee. Uh, so maybe Mo will pull it out there. Uh, no word about uh, how Larry and Curly are doing in the uh, polls there. Biden's approval, however, is at the lowest point of his presidency, and he is gone for 100 days without even having a media interview. Then finally, as we look at politics, the Washington Post comes up with its top 10 presidential candidates for 2024. And they rank them. And I got to say, this should scare you to death. <laughs> this is why I say there is no help coming from the presidency. There's no help coming from the national level. Number 10, Asa Hutchinson. If ever there was a rhino, if ever there was somebody who is openly contemptuous of your individual rights, it's Asa Hutchinson, governor of Arkansas. Chris Sununu. Uh, out of New Hampshire, uh, I don't know a great deal about him, but I know that uh, libertarians have had a big problem with him. Glenn Youngkin, considered by many people to be another one of these, like Sununu establishment Republicans. Donald Trump Jr., Ted Cruz, Tim Scott, Nikki Haley, number four. Be afraid of Nikki Haley. Very afraid. They put Pence as number three. DeSantis as number two and Trump as number one. There is no help, folks not coming from the national GOP. Finally, we have 
this. Uh, this is coming from The Guardian. Oh, no. Is Jeff Bezos preparing to run for office? Yeah. How much worse can it get? Well, it could get that much worse. Uh, we'll, we'll have to see what happens with that. We'll take a quick break and we'll be right back. Stay with us. To the Whistler. <laughs> it's uh, funny how that is uh, going. But uh, got this from Harps. Thank you for the tip, Harps. On Rockfin, he says, Congrats on the move, Knight family. Travis, you should take over the sound. You would have played the Whistler. That's right, he would have. <laughs> Could have gotten it in there earlier. Uh, he also says, Thank Tony and Guard for doing great, enjoyable fill in jobs with good guests. Yes, they had uh, great guests and they did a great job. And I cannot thank them enough. By the way, I almost uh, missed this. I, I wanted to talk about the monkeypox stuff because i think that what is at the um the end of all of this um is is pushing what is happening now with not just the the pandemic treaty but these regulations and of course it has since i had james roguski on uh it really has caught fire hasn't it i mean we've got it's been picked up by tucker carlson you've had michelle bachman who's been on with steve bannon as a matter of fact uh she contacted james and um and talked to him directly about that he explained that to her and then she's spreading the word i'm glad to see that i mean i'm not trying to say well he did it first i'm glad that he did the uh, the research on this and some other people who were involved in it some other country uh, company countries but uh the good news is that, you know, we don't care who gets credit for this stuff. We want the word to get out. And the good news is it is out. I'm looking everywhere. The WND has got it. New American has got it. Tucker Carlson's got it. Steve Bannon has got it. They're all talking about it. And so it, it sprung up pretty quickly. And that's good. I'm really happy about that, especially because the thing that bothered me so much for the last 802 days was how dumbed down and anesthetized people were. And I think a large part of that was because of the fear porn at the beginning of this COVID lockdown thing coming from both the left and the right. People were scared to death and they didn't poke their head up. Now they realize it's a scam and now they see where this is headed. And so, uh, you know, thanks to uh, what James has done and many others have done as well, the word is getting out. But now what is happening is they're pushing back on this. And they're saying, well, no, it's not the pandemic treaty. If you remember, he came out first and he was talking about the pandemic treaty. Then he said, no, it's what's even worse about this is the regulation that's been proposed by the Biden administration from the very beginning of its administration, uh, proposing to give powers to the World Health Organization and to change the agreement, the treaty that we have with him already to modify that so that there's only a six month period before these you know, prior to that. A state could look at this stuff and say, no, we don't want that. We're remaining in charge. We don't want that. We're 
we're going to ignore what the World Health Organization is doing. We did have that power, you see. That's one of the things that I fault Trump for. He didn't have to do it because the World Health Organization said so. He didn't have to do it because Fauci said so. Uh, or any public health official. But you could always pull out of it. And now what they're trying to propose is that after six months, you can't change it, you see. And out of the 12, 12 of the 13 amendments appear to be of removed from consideration. And so James Rogowski is saying, now is the time to turn up the heat because this is the week that they're meeting on this stuff. He says, don't slack off now. Now is the time to turn up the heat, to let them know. And if you let them know, again, they measure the response of the public by the pound, uh, not by your persuasive arguments. So let them know. And I'm going to have him on this week to talk about this. Uh, but you also have the uh, establishment press is pushing back against it. Listen to what they say. They're fact checking this. Uh, no, the pandemic treaty will not give the World Health Organization control over governments during a global health crisis, they say. Here's what they say. Several Verify viewers emailed us to ask about these claims. So let's verify. Would the pandemic treaty give the WHO control over governments during a global health crisis? Our sources are the international health regulations, proposed amendments to the regulations, and the WHO. The international health regulations are part of an international law that outlines the responsibilities of WHO member countries, like the U.S., when there's a public health emergency. It requires that countries report what's happening and that the WHO offer assistance. Earlier this year, the U.S. proposed several amendments to the regulations based on what we learned during the COVID-19 pandemic. They include adding early warning criteria, a request to provide genetic sequence data, and outlines a time frame for when and how countries can ask the WHO for support. It does not give the WHO authority over member countries. The amendment repeatedly states that countries can reject the WHO's assistance. So, no, the pandemic treaty would not give the WHO control over governments during a global health crisis. Well, that's not true. See, what they're doing is they're creating a straw man argument. And they're also talking about how some of these things that have been pulled back, uh, they wind it up by saying, unfortunately, there's been a small minority of groups making misleading statements and purposely distorting facts. I want to be crystal clear. The WHO's agenda is public. It's open. It's transparent. The WHO stands strongly for individual rights. Okay, that's all you need to hear, right? That's coming from Tedros. The WHO stands strongly for individual rights. Are you kidding me? Nobody has trampled individual rights more so than the World Health Organization and its local minions. And this is being portrayed by the so-called fact checker. They call it verify or whatever. It's being portrayed by them uh, as if the World Health Organization is just there to help you. You know, we've heard this all before. Hi, I'm from the government. I'm here to help you. <laughs> Uh, yeah, it's a protection racket, isn't it? And we know exactly what that kind of a protection looks like. So James Rogusky says the massive response from people all over the world in opposition to the amendments to the international health regulations, along with legal actions in the UK and a whole lot of uh, prayer, seems to have resulted in 12 of the 13 amendments in the regulations being removed from consideration. But the last remaining amendment that may be considered by the 75th World Health Assembly is below. And he highlights this. And by the way, I tweeted this out. Um, uh, and it's out on Gab as well. The period provided in the execution of Article 22 of the Constitution, blah, blah, blah. Uh, 
an amendment to these regulations shall be six months from the date of notification by the director general. Any rejection or reservation received by the director general after the expiry of that period shall have no effect. In other words, after six months, it's there. Six months and you're done. That was never the case before. Now, if you're going to say that after six months, you can't do anything about it, what does that say? It says that you have given up some of your sovereignty, right? You can't just say, well, that's it. We're taking this thing out. We're going to change the term. No, no, you can't change it. Not after six months. You signed on to this thing and you said that if I leave it there for six months, if you do something and it stays on the books for six months, even if you didn't know it was there, right? They can put it in a back room, quietly put it into the terms of service or whatever they want to call this thing, the treaty. Uh, we put this stuff in, any kind of regulations, anything that we put in there, even if you don't know about it for six months, uh, it's permanent at that point. And this, amendments to these regulations shall enter into force six months after the date of notification referred to, a paragraph uh, of this uh, article. So the bottom line is, is when I talked to James Roguski, this is the regulatory state on a global level. You see, here in the United States, we've had, uh, as Nancy Pelosi said, well, we've got to pass it so we find out what's in it. How do you find out what's in it? Who puts what's in it? Does the Congress put it in there? No, the regulatory agencies will put it in there, and then we'll find out what it is, said the Speaker of the House, after they put it in. And if you don't find out what's in there for within six months, uh, there's not going to be anything you can do about it because you've already signed away your rights to that, you see. And that's the key issue. That was always the key thing. And the other things that they have removed were not as key as this. So they took a lot of, you know, they put a bunch of stuff out there. You know, it's just kind of like the, the way the government always gets you to get rid of your trial by jury. They bring up a whole bunch of other charges that they're willing to, they add them in. They don't have a good case for them. And then they say, well, we'll take all these others off, but, you know, we're going to, you plead guilty to this thing, right? And that's what they're doing. They had uh, 12 out of the 13 they could do away with or do later. Uh, the key thing is this one, because with this one, they can put the other 12 in, and there's nothing you can do about it later, you see. This matters because it has a direct impact on Article 61. Article 61 says these regulations of an amendment within the period provided these regulations or the amendment concerns shall not enter into force with respect to that state. Um, if you notify them of the rejection, but they're getting rid of that. You see, they're saying, well, after six months, that's it. And there's nothing you can do about that. So again, uh, we're seeing a lot of pushback fortune magazine. Why Tucker Carlson is wrong about the world health organization, the pandemic treaty. Uh, I'm glad that, um, that has gotten out. Like I said, world health, uh, not world health, uh, WND, uh, new American, Tucker Carlson, even Jair Bolsonaro says, well, we're not going to get involved in the pandemic treaty, but it's the regulation that you have to work, watch out for. We'll have James Roguski on this week to talk more about that. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for your support. And thank God we got through this move. And I do thank God. Thank you. Bye-bye. common man. They created common core to dumb down our children. They created common past to track and control us. 
their commons project to make sure the commoners own nothing and the communist future. They see the common man as simple, unsophisticated, ordinary. But each of us has worth and dignity created in the image of God. That is what we have in common. That is what they want to take away. Their most powerful weapons are isolation, deception, intimidation. They desire to know everything about us while they hide everything from us. It's time to turn that around and expose what they want to hide. Please share the information and links you'll find at thedavidnightshow.com. Thank you for listening. Thank you for sharing. If you can't support us financially, please keep us in your prayers. TheDavidKnightShow.com.